You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. I'm going to be iconic. And welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper. You can follow me on X at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And I'm Cliffy D. You can also follow me on X over at Cliffy D. And this episode of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast is presented by our good friends over at Sportbuff, where right now, if you go and use the promo code ALSFLIGHTDECK10 at checkout, you'll save 10% off your entire order. Head on over to www.sportbuffshop.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to get all of your merchandise, your Grey Cup merchandise, your NFL, NHL, whatever sport you're into, you'll find the merchandise there. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to support local. Have you missed any of the episodes of our eighth season or any of the other seasons? Well, don't worry. You can head over to our archive and find the entire entire playlist there head over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca you can follow us over on x at alouettes fl deck facebook you can find us at alouettes flight deck pod instagram and threads you can find us at alouettes flight deck and youtube where you can find some of the audio versions you can find some of the video interviews that we've been doing and also the entire archive of this year's flight deck live head over to youtube.com slash alouettes flight deck and lastly, if you want to rep the podcast during the off-season or at any time, you can head over to our merch store at flightdeckgear.ca and, uh, again, check out any of our new merchandise from our We The One shirt to any of the other ones, including our very, very popular uh, flight, uh, Cartoon Bird 56 shirt. Um, again... Uh, we appreciate everybody who's bought something over this past year and ever since we've had the the store. And uh, we hope to bring you some new stuff in 2024. So, Cliffy Cliffy, my friend. Uh, yeah, it has been a very, very interesting season, obviously. And we want to let everybody know uh, that this is, unfortunately, I guess we could say, uh, the season finale for our 2023 broadcast season. But, you know, no, don't fret, my everybody. We will be back. Um, but there's just so much to talk about. Uh, obviously, this being our season finale, we do have our annual State of the Team uh, interview uh, with the Alouettes president. And we will be speaking with uh, Al's president and CEO, Mark Waitman, here in a couple of minutes. Um, but... You know, we, we felt that it should, considering what we've gone through this season and what we're leading up to in 2024, we have to make sure that we give the love, considering it's a completely different offseason already, but we have to give love to these guys that, that the Alouettes have decided to bring back to play for us in 2024 and most of them beyond, right? Oh, absolutely. And yes, it's... Uh... A little bit bittersweet this evening, knowing that this is going to be the last episode of the flight deck in for 2023. And yeah, we'll be back. We're gonna, we're going to take a little time. We're gonna you know enjoy the holiday season. We're gonna relax. We're gonna look back at the year that was, and even doing so now, 
I look back at this year, this season, and it's like, holy crap! Like what, what, what a season! <laughs> we will not be forgetting about this season anytime soon. I mean, there's just no. so much to talk about. Uh, I mean, even when I was thinking about doing the recap and everything, and thinking about everything else that this team has gone through and what we've gone through in doing this show. And yeah, I guess really, truly, the only thing you say is, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we definitely appreciate each and every one of you that's uh, tuned in, downloaded, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on any of our pods, our podcatchers, you, you know, we appreciate each and every one of you. So you know what? We're going to go out with a bang. We're going to do this thing. And I'm excited. Let's let, let's get into it, Tim. You, 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 you sort of... Uh, prefaced it uh. yeah i did i did and it, it, again you know unlike you know with the, all the uncertainty that the Alouettes had last year and we had quite a few um free agencies that were available and they were big name free agency uh, free agents um but you know we had the list come out this year we were speculating on what could happen uh we were spot on when it came to cody Fajardo and him getting his uh, uh, his extension, and if you happen to miss my throwback, by the way, I never asked you about that. How'd you like that throwback from last week? I love that. Turn back the clock in that episode. So, um, but they just continued. The team continued, didn't they? So uh, you know, Danny Max has been very, very busy in getting these players and signing them for multiple, multiple years. I, I, where do, where should we start here, dude? I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, we've already had three major ones announced. It just kept on going this week. Oh, definitely. And that's thing. Yeah. Cody Fajardo, that was sort of the first domino to fall, if you will. Although as excited as it is to know that he's going to be returning in 2024 and 2025, you know, we had, we got a couple of free agents that we're kind of looking at and saying, okay, well, the Alouettes would be wise to get this guy, this guy, this guy signed, but news is news. Right. And we're, Mm -hmm interested and excited to find out who's going to be next. Uh, the next ones to come were Sean Lemon and Darnell Sankey, also extending themselves. Uh, Lemon just for one year. Sankey for two years. Once again, yep. fantastic stuff. And again, at, when we spoke to them at the casino uh, a couple days after the Great Cup win, uh, they basically said, we're coming back. We just got to we got to get the numbers right, and I had a feeling that's what it, all it was going to be was just getting the numbers right, and clearly they did, which is absolutely tremendous. But yeah, uh, like they say in those uh, infomercials. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> We've got even more signings to discuss, and again, credit to Danny Machocha and the Alouettes organization for recognizing how important it is to get a lot of these guys under contract. You know, you want to run it back, bring the band back together, whatever, however you want to phrase it. This is the way. Uh, the next name on the list, Mustafa Johnson, which, folks, you, you saw what he did the latter part of this season. I mean, th- yeah. this guy is a beast, an absolute beast. With or without a shirt. You, you know what's funny? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not think he has worn a shirt since Grey Cup Sunday. <laughs> well, technically jersey, but okay. Um, we saw him after the Grey Cup, shirtless, celebrating. Mm-hmm. He got off the... Pl- I, I, I saw him uh, at the after party. Okay, there he was rocking a wife beater. But uh, uh, after that, uh, getting off the plane with the Grey Cup, um, no shirts. Uh, yeah. At- at the Grey Cup parade, no, sh- like I'm sitting here going, 
did he like go all Hulk Hogan and just tear his shirts in excitement <laughs> with the Great Cup win? And he just doesn't have any left, and that's why he had to sign an extension was just to go to the store and buy some goddamn shirts. Or maybe he's just decided the hell with it. I'm not wearing shirts anymore. And who's gonna stop him, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what, dude? I mean, listen. If I had his body, I'd probably, I'd probably go shirtless myself too, because dude's in shape. Dude's, dude can rock it. So, you know, very excited to see Mustafa back. He is going to be an impact player on this defensive line for years to come, along with Lawal Ugalak, uh, Sean Lemon leading the way, Brock Gowanlock. I mean, these are the these are the studs that you're you're building this defensive line around and are going to be a major, major player for years to come. Mm-hmm. So definitely great to get Mustafa back in. Uh, uh, or back, uh, back signed, sealed, and delivered. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, next would be uh, Jamar McGloster on the offensive line. Did a very outstanding job. Uh, you know, a, a great contributor. Uh, very crucial in keeping Cody Fajardo upright. Uh, definitely a, a young man that has shown that he can play this game at a very high level. And I think it's going to be one of those key elements for this defensive line, especially when you look at a couple of the guys on the, on the O-line are a little long in the tooth, in which case you've got to have the young guys ready to step up and make an impact. And Jamar is definitely one of those guys who will definitely do that. Yep. Uh, next, Deontay Ruffin uh, was, a, was a free agent signing from Calgary and Definitely did an outstanding job. Uh, I think where you saw a lot of Deontay's work was in mentoring a lot of the young guys, uh, like the the Reggie Stubblefields and the KB Onentos, providing that championship experience, uh, You know, learning from the best out in Calgary, bringing that here to Montreal. And he was able to impart that wisdom onto these youngsters and been a solid contributor throughout the season. Uh, you know, there's been a couple of times where like some of the plays he's made have just been outstanding. Like this guy's not a three, not afraid to throw his weight around and make things happen. So I'm, I'm definitely glad to see him back in the lineup for 2024. And as was announced today, I mean, you got Cody under, under, under wraps for, for the next season and beyond. Why not the second part of that? Like you got the MVP of the great cup <laughs> signed, sealed and delivered. Why not also the most valuable Canadian signed, sealed, and delivered? Yes, folks, that's right. Tyson Philpot, who caught the game-winning, the Grey Cup-winning touchdown that we spoke into existence. Let's, let's not forget that. Uh, during uh, Grey Cup media, uh, the, the media day, uh, I spoke with Tyson for the, for the show, and we had talked about that, that, about him starting a new touchdown streak with, with Cody, or maybe even catching the Grey Cup-winning touchdown we spoke that into existence so <laughs> folks if you haven't checked it out make sure you head over to our youtube page and check that out because we talked about this we talked about the possibility of it happening and lo and behold tyson philpot did catch the great cup and game winning touchdown and he's coming back in 2024 and 2025 and if that doesn't get you excited folks well hell i don't know what will because <laughs> yeah this, this, this kid is just absolutely outstanding i mean this is second year in the league and he's already a great cup champion. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And yeah. we're, we're just beyond thrilled friend of the show too. So we're, we're even more thrilled to be able to have Tyson come back as a member of this Alouettes organization. And we'll be having him back on the show as well. We, we, we got to get caught up with him again and get his, his thoughts on everything. I mean, we're, yeah. 
we got a lot. And you know what, folks? We, I, I'm sure by the time this episode hits the airwaves or hits the internet or however, however, however you say it nowadays, <laughs> it's don't dropped. be surprised. Yeah, don't be surprised if there's even more signings happening because it really does feel like they want to bring back this core, the the, mm-hmm. the core nucleus that that won this great cup. They're going to want to bring them back if they as much as they can. And I, I, as much as they'd love to bring everybody back, and it sounds like everybody wants to come back, is that truly feasible? Only yeah. time's going to tell. I mean, I'll, I will say this. Danny Machocha has done a hell of a job so far in bringing and locking up some of these key pieces, but he's, he's still got his work cut out for him, so... Yeah, he does. And uh, by the way, I think the 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 signing of uh, the extension of Philpott was that it wasn't a, you know, as we were saying earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that the Cody thing really wasn't a surprise. It, it's something that needed to be done. Did you find the extension of Tyson to be an, uh, a surprise? Because I don't, I it really was not on my radar. I understand why it was done, but it really wasn't on my radar. Wasn't on, on mine either because uh, it was important. I mean, I mean, he was a, a pending free agent, but. It almost felt like okay, this is going to happen. It's just it was it was almost a formality at this point, as far as I was concerned. So mm-hmm. great, great to get it out of the way. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's you know a weight off Tyson's mind as well, because at least now he doesn't have to worry about the whole you know back and forth negotiations, all that jazz. It's just a matter of like, listen, I want to be here. He, he's he's even said in multiple interviews that he does want to be here. He wants to be a Montreal Alouette. He wants to spend his entire career in Montreal. He's he's put his money where his mouth is, and so have the Alouettes. In that sense, they're they believe in him as well. So I mean, at yeah. this point, you may as well just put pen to paper, be done with it. And folks, if you bought a Tyson Philpot jersey, know that your your investment is safe for at least another couple of years. Whew, that's good to hear. That's well, good right. to hear. You you do have a Tyson Philpot jersey, so <laughs> money well spent, my friend. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Uh, as Cliff said, there are going to be a lot of announcements, and uh, we're going to be we're kind of uh, kind of um, stuck within the new. Uh, uh, I guess it's a what did they say? It's a, we're going to be a, affected by the own news uh, the news cycle itself because you know there was there's a hint that the schedule is going to be released, um, but do not fret. Uh, we have uh, we do have some uh, some off season plans um, to go over our schedule and stuff like that. So don't. But again, we've been lucky all year. We've been lucky all year when it comes to the new cycle cliff. So, I mean, it's, it, it happens, it happens, right? So, <laughs> well, I mean, like, like every other podcast, it feels like, I mean, we've been burned in the past too. Uh, we put out an episode and boom, some major news yeah. happens. And we're just like, damn, like, yeah, like you, you, you couldn't have done this yesterday, but that's, you know, you, you live yeah, and die, you, you live and die by the podcast, folks. I mean, what it, else, what it, else can I say? Exactly. So as we, as we mentioned, we do have um, uh, this is a, a yearly tradition I'm I'm absolutely enjoying. We're able to bring on the the Alowitz president, talk about the the uh, the year that was, and and uh, maybe to get a little bit of teasers on what's going to happen uh, going forward for the next season, and uh, we are we're able to continue just that. Uh, we're going to be speaking with uh, with Mark Waitman, who is the Alowitz president and CEO. And um, within the conversation, as I said, uh, finally get a little bit of tidbits. And because we really hadn't spoke to him since he came back, we wanted to find out a little bit of the uh, behind the scenes of how he became uh, the Alowitz president uh, during that tumultuous offseason that we had here in, in 2023. So without further ado, Cliff, let's speak with Alowitz president and CEO, Mark Waitman. 
And what we love having is our yearly state of the team uh, update from the uh, Alouette's uh, CEO and president. Um, we're happy to welcome back in a shorter amount of time this time, as you know, uh, it's Mark Waitman from the Alouettes. Mark, it's hard to believe you and I just talked, what was it, uh, October last year before you even rejoined the Alouettes to talk about the 25th anniversary of the, of the U2 game. Who would have thought such a short period of time and a lot of stuff has happened to you in that short amount of time, eh? I sometimes wonder if maybe you knew something was up and you just were holding on to me and didn't tell me. um, Yeah, it is kind of ironic that uh, the way that worked out. But uh, yeah, so happy to get a chance to talk to you again and this time in a more formal capacity and with some more recent news to tell. Yes, sir. With all due due respect, Mark, do you think if we knew what was going to happen, we would have kept you in the dark? I'm not sure what the right answer to that is, but the, I'm, 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 I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. I'm going <laughs> to. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, one thing we wanted to find out if possible, because this is something I've been wanting to ask you since you've come back uh, to the team, is um, obviously we know you were, you know, uh, around Quebec, uh, you know, most recently with the uh, Toy Vier Lines of the ECHL. Um, how did you get? How did it come about that you were offered the job of the president and CEO of the Alouettes? Then you know, asking you to return to the franchise. Um, you know, I think uh, over the years, um, I've uh, I've developed some really really close working relationships with um, several of the different you know pillars of the Quebecor group, and um, and part of that uh, was actually uh, in Torreviera as well. Uh, working a lot with Videotron, it was you know we ended up selling the naming rights to Videotron, like Colise Videotron, as you know. Um, they're also the title sponsor for the team, um, so got to know the 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 sponsorship folks and the brand folks at Videotron um, really well over the years, and worked very well with them. Um, you know, I've known uh, Martin Tremblay from uh, QSD for for many years. Uh, and had a good relationship with uh, with him and with Philippe Neveu, who's uh, uh, um, GM of uh, TVA Sport, who, uh, among other things, I negotiated a broadcast agreement with him to broadcast Lions games in the last uh, two, three years. Um, so I think, uh, and, and had a chance to meet Mr. Pelodeau, uh you know, throughout when we did the grand opening of the Colisée de uh among other times. And so... I think um, I just I yeah I spent a lot of time with a lot of the key and most influential people in the Quebec or uh, universe and uh, uh, built a really good rapport with them and so I think uh, when when all this came around uh, that led to uh, to them reaching out to me. So just to clarify, there's a Colisée Videotron in Quebec City and also in Trois-Rivières. The Centre Videotron is in Quebec City. Oh. And Sandra. the new and the new Colisée Videotron was in Torvia. That's right. Oh, yeah. okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> no, because I, I think Colisée where you're coming from, because I think it used to be called the Colisée in before Videotron took over the naming rights in Quebec City. In Quebec City, yeah, the old building was the Colisée Pepsi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they opened up the new building, they called it Le Centre Videotron. So yeah, no, you're not the first to have to to be confused over the names. Uh, trust me. Uh, but uh, yeah, one is uh, one's a little bit bigger in Quebec City, and then there's about five thousand seats in the Colisée Vieux-Tron and uh, and, and Tourvière. Um, this summer, was it easy to make the decision to come back? Because obviously, you know, with the new ownership, you know, that was in place at the time. I mean, 
you know, you, you hadn't been with the team for quite a few years. You've been doing other stuff, you know, what comes, you know, hockey and basketball, et cetera, et cetera. But what, was it an easy choice to come back to the Alouettes? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, I'll start with why it wasn't. Um, I was really enjoying what I was doing. Uh, I was working with a hockey club in Europe as well as uh, being full-time with the team in Trois-Rivières and, and working as a governor and, and at the league level in the CBL with the Alliance. And so um, th- those were all really exciting projects that, that I was able to be a part of. Um, uh, two of those three, I, I started from, from scratch. Uh, you know, the basketball team was a project that I'd worked on uh, for a little over five, well, four years before we finally had our first game. And so five years before I left, and um, and it's exciting whenever you get a chance to to launch, build something from scratch, build something new. Uh, so the alliance falls under that. Uh, the the lions obviously fall under that, and that was the the you know the really big project that I've been working on for the last several years. And and uh, and the team in in Switzerland was something that was um, um, really exciting as well because there's a really strong, rich history of hockey over there that we sometimes don't realize over here in Quebec that. Uh, you know, we, we don't have the monopoly on, on, on the history of hockey. And, and I was working with a 100-year-old club over there in Lausanne. So um, so it was difficult from that perspective that I had to let those projects um, go. Uh, but it was also easy uh, because once I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Bellado and, and hear, out, hear him out as far as why he was doing this, why was he... Um, purchasing uh, the Montreal Alouettes. What did he want to do with this club? And what was his vision and and and, and his his goal? And um, when we had that conversation, and I realized how uh, authentic his 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 reasons were. Um, he wanted to make you know the Alouettes proud I and mean, give Montreal a reason to be proud of their Alouettes again. He wanted to out of civic duty, as he said uh, several times publicly since his uh, purchase that. Um, um, you know, these are all the right reasons for me. Sometimes people get into sports not necessarily for the right reasons, and uh, and I think he knew that this was not going to be a quick fix. That this is not something that we're going to, you know, flip on its head and 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 try to make this profitable in in, in a year or two. This there's a long road ahead, and um, and he's aware of the time investment as well as financial investments that need to go along with it. So when I heard that, when I had the opportunity to to hear him share all that with me. Um, then I couldn't say no because um, as much as I love all those other projects that I just mentioned to you and other clubs that I've worked with and the team that I worked in Sweden when I first left the Owls, um, the Montreal Alouettes obviously have a special place in their heart, in my heart, and um, uh, there was there was a little bit of unfinished business, I guess uh, you could say, and so to have the opportunity now to to um, try to do things right and to uh, bring this team um, back to uh, where it should be as far as, you know, top of the standings as well as, you know, being a, um, um, being the model uh, franchise in this league. And I think there was a time where, where we were just that. And, uh, and so I long for the days that uh, we will be that again. Well, now, what's interesting to me is the – this is technically your third – go around with the Alouettes, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't, if you count sort of like when the Baltimore Stallions moved back to move to Montreal to become the Alouettes, I guess this would be the third time you've been with the yeah, team. Yeah, I guess I should clarify that. Yeah, so I did. I worked with the Stallions in Baltimore for 95. I came home at the end of that season 
not knowing the team was moving to Montreal. And so there was a couple of months there where I was actually going a different way. And then the team announced they were coming back and I rejoined. So, you know, I never thought of it that way before, uh, Cliffy, but yeah, you're right. I'm at my, uh, this is not my second time around. It's technically, I guess, uh, my third, uh, my third opportunity with this club. You're correct. So with that in mind, uh, Obviously, with uh, Danny Machocha's general manager, uh, Mario Ciccini, as the interim president, if you will, because uh, he was also on his way up and then brought back in by uh, by the league, essentially, when they took over ownership of the franchise. Explain to us a little bit just some of the transition, like how easy or hard was it, seeing as you've already been in that position before, but you're sort of walking back to it. it some people would say it's not like riding a bike, but maybe not necessarily. So can you give us a little insight as to what the transition was like from Mario to yourself? Well, well, first of all, Mario was unbelievably helpful. Um, you know, he, uh, he was able to, um, as much as he could before leaving, you know, set things up and make things clear and, and help me. You know, we sat down for several meetings for several hours at a time, just trying to, you know, assimilate all the information and, 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 and get a sense as to what the franchise had been through the last three years, which, which helped me uh, when I walked through the doors, um, you know, the, cause a lot of the staff had changed. I think out of the 30 some odd people that were in the room, when I walked in that first day, um, I recognized four of them. I mean, on the business side anyways, and um, you know, I recognized a lot of guys on the football side, but you know, Guys like Eric used to be wearing a helmet and shoulder pads. Now he's he's working in the front office, mm-hmm. uh, so it was definitely uh, uh, different. Uh, so Mario was very helpful. That's one, and um, and two. Uh, you know, this business hasn't changed that much. Um, I'm very familiar with how this how this team works. Um, having had the opportunity over the last seven years to work with a lot of different sports teams in this province and abroad. Um, it gave me some great perspective and on, on, you know, new ways of doing things and, 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 and really just how to, uh, I had several occasions uh, throughout those opportunities to proceed to a, you know, restructuring of an organization and reorganizing sometimes modernizing the way that you run a sports business. And so um it gave me a unique perspective coming back in and I was looking at everything through a bit of a different lens, although recognizing that, you know, I'm still in the same house and it's mostly the same furniture, but things have been moved around a little bit. Right. Um, so it, it, I, I think the best way I could term it is it was just a little weird to be honest with you because it was, uh, it, it was familiar, but it wasn't because everybody was new. And, um, and I had to, uh, a lot of the times to just recognize not just the people that were there that were, that were new that I didn't know yet, but also that they'd been through, um, some very difficult times. And, uh, uh, you know, if there's one thing that w- one additive I could use to, to, to describe the staff that are there, which is a hu- huge strength of the staff that we have is resilient. Um, you know, they, I figure if they, if they get through the last few years, then there's nothing they can't get through. Um, and, um, uh, so it was, it was, it was, it was weird. It was, um, it was familiar, but it wasn't, it was, it was, um, uh, and it still required a, a period of adaptation, um, for myself. Uh, it still is, there's still things that we're still, you know, now that the season's over, there's things that we didn't want to, didn't have time to address or didn't want to start changing or tweaking during the season because, uh, it's just not time. Like uh, I think I've, I said this to you, Tim, last week, uh, 
you know, we've been, you know, we've been, we've been flying an airplane and we're in mid flight and we need to fix the engine. Well, we, we can't shut her down. So we're going to, we tweaked and did as many things as we could during the year to uh, optimize uh, what we we're doing. But now that the season's over, we're going to be able to, you know, land the plane, uh, strip her down a little bit and, and, and do everything's right. It's, I know, I think I see a comment and, and we'll go get to what you, you know, a little bit of what you talked about in the season ending press conference, but you've always been a, a guy I've known that you've always had a, a one, two, three more year, uh, look of what you want a, your franchise to be. And I, I'm guessing at this time also, whether we won the great cup this year or not, you know, it, it's a great year one for you, but I'm sure you do have more years within what you know uh, and what you want to do for the next coming years obviously yeah and you know what it's probably one of the i guess i shouldn't call it a luxury but if you look at the the recent um uh times in, in this club's history it maybe has should be called a, a luxury of of having the stability and uh, an ability to to look forward more than a year or two um, you know, you big things don't get accomplished overnight. And um, so the ability to have a long-term plan uh, to identify it and then execute against it over the next few years um, is, uh, is a good thing for this franchise because when you're stringing one-year one year plans together, one after the other, where half your time is more, you know, surrounding survival than it is building for the future, um, it, it's hard to have the long-term success that, that you want to have. And so, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of projects that, uh, that we need to embark on in this organization. And some of them are not as exciting as you probably think that sounds. It's, 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 you know, transforming departments and, and, and improving our ability to harness, uh, the data that we have through you know, all of our social media channels and all of our, um, you know, our client database over the years to be able to do a better job of, 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 of attracting people to the stadium. Um, that's something that, you know, building your, for example, just building our, our, our tech stack as far as the tools we have uh, that we need and that we now have or are in the process of putting in place to allow us to be successful as a professional sports franchise in 2023 is, is something that takes time. And when you're, if you're just planning year to year, you're not getting there. You're not getting it done. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I do have a, a very clear um, vision as to where, you know, where this franchise needs to be in five years and seven years and how that, um, how we drill that down to what do we need to accomplish this year to be able to have that building block to start building on for next year and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm happy now to have an off season to be able to spend more time on that because during the season it's been a little bit more difficult to do that. Yeah, and obviously it it's, it helps too because I know you 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 have the luxury of having Mr. Wetnall as as your boss before. It's also now having uh, you know Pierre Carpelito as your your boss now because the money is now currently available for you to do. I guess what your your vision is or what or what you want the the franchise to become. Well, yeah, and but the thing is, is you know, available or not available, it, it has to be, it has to make sense. You ha- you have to build a, uh, a credible business plan as to why, um, you know, money that we request that that I, that I may suggest to Mr. Pelado, like I would have back in the day with with Bob, 
um, it has to be seen as an investment and not an expense, right? So if we, you know, the ask might be quite big on something, but if we can show that we've, um, that we have a sound business plan over and, you know, most big investments will take multi years to, to, to pay back, but you show that you can have an interesting payback and that it will allow us to build our franchise to get to where we need to be. Um, then it, then it will often be looked on favorably. Uh, you make, you have other requests that, that may not be as, as big in dollars, uh, but uh, if it's just seen as an expense and not an investment, um, then you don't go very far with that. And I think that's something that, you know, Bob was very good at, at, at seeing the future and, and, and wanting to have a vision as to what the franchise was to be for many years. Uh, and uh, clearly with uh, Mr. Pelodo now, that's that's the plan. And uh, um, yeah, so now it's, it's our job to, you know, put those pieces together. Yeah, so I guess we can so say... No, I was just going to say, so fans, you may not see much, but things are happening behind the scenes. As you, as you said, it's just, you know, it's more than just what's happening on the field. So uh, it sounds like everything's, right now everything seems to be in good hands, obviously, with Mark back and what he's able to do. So I can't wait for sure. Cliff? Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I was going to say, so... If we want to get Flight Deck Studios built, uh, we're going to have to talk to Mr. Pelado and have a sound business plan in place, correct? You have to have a very sound business plan in place, absolutely. Absolutely. But I have, I have full confidence in you. <laughs> all right. Just just need to know where to send the business proposal to. That's all. So that's fair. <laughs> um, you recently – the team recently had their year-end – um, state of the state of the team uh, press conference, and just wanted to go over some of the the few highlights that you were able to uh, to let us know about. If they if, if you know the, the the supporters hadn't seen it on TV or hadn't seen it online, um, mm-hmm. tell us about uh, tell us. I, I know one of the huge things that you that you really stressed upon were were tickets and the percentages. Uh, tell us about uh, the, the the tickets and the ticket sales for for twenty twenty three. Yeah, I mean, you know that we uh, we were laid out of the gate, right? First of all, I mean, season tickets took a bit of a dip because there was so much uncertainty around the team last December, January, February, March, until uh, Mr. Pelotto uh, purchased the club and we started rebuilding for this year. Um, but uh, so, so encouraged by the results that we have. Um, I don't have it in front of me now, but if, I, if memory serves me, it was 23 or 24% increase on single game ticket sales. Um, and, and what I didn't say the other day, and I should have highlighted more during the, the end of the year press conferences, that was despite having some of the wackiest weather this year ever. Um, we had, you know, two games delayed by an hour or more because of lightning. Um, and obviously that had an impact on ticket sales because they were forecasting, you know, major rain showers and potential thunder showers um, all week, those two weeks. So obviously that doesn't help your ticket sales we almost had a game uh you know threatened because of the quality of the air uh we had a couple of other games that all there was no lightning and delays it was still nasty weather um it was really really weird because i'd spent as you guys know 21 22 seasons in the cfl prior and never had a home game delayed because of weather and i when i got back this year we had two in the first three or four games so it was it was really kind of wacky but um so that really, to me, just highlights even more the the uh, significance and the how impressive those numbers are as far as increasing single ticket sales, fifty two percent, 
uh, again, 52 or 53, uh, I, I, was, I, I tend to sometimes round down those 52 point something percent increase uh, on group sales, um, which that, by the way, in, in large part has to do with not just the excitement around the team, but also just our sales team being able to have some stability and, and you know, have staff and, and, and um, you know, because when you go through difficult times, you know, staff will leave to go elsewhere. And so if you're trying to do your job and organize group sales and you don't have the horses to do it, you're, you're not going to get the results. And so our sales team did a, a really, really good job this year. Um, and uh, we were almost tops in the league, uh, despite having, uh, you know, one of the smaller venues and starting from a little further back. Um, overall revenues were up 16%. Um, so again, having gone down on the season ticket side and then compensating for it and then some to be able to go up, we had, uh, I believe we were second in the league in, in, in overall increase uh, when it came to revenues, uh, uh, or ticket revenues. Um, and that was really significant for us, especially with such a short runway. Um, same thing on partnerships. Um, you know, uh, obviously Mr. Pelado and his network and, and, and the doors that he can help open um, uh, has a big impact, um, but an equally big impact is, is just the stability. It's just, you know, um, a sponsor doesn't usually, it's very, very rare that you'll ever get a sponsorship as a one-year deal. It's always usually a two or three-year deal because that's how long it takes to usually um, uh, implement your sponsorship plan with us uh, and us with, with our partner as far as helping them create brand awareness or whether it be driving people to stores or whatever their, their marketing strategy is. Um, it's not just, okay, you're sponsoring us for putting up signs and giving you tickets and then it goes away. It's much, much more um, uh, complex than that now. And, and so most of those effective sponsorships are longer term deals. And, and the reality is that, you know, most companies were reluctant to, you know, sign up to any kind of a sponsorship deal with us because there was uncertainty around the club. Are you going to have a team in June? Those are the questions that people are being asked. Uh, so that stability now uh, was huge. Uh, we had 40-some new partners just this year, again, with a short runway. Um, you know, big increases uh, on the sponsorship side as well. Um, now, we still got a long way to go, both on tickets and on sponsorships. Um, and again, this is why I say this is, this is it's, a, it's not a, this is not a 100-yard yard sprint. This is, this is, um, this is a, a long-term plan that we need to do as quickly as possible, of course. So it's, it's, it's a marathon that we're trying to do at a sprinter's pace. Um, and, uh, but these are all just good signs uh, for us to, and, and, you know, companies see other companies aligning themselves with us that brings credibility to our organizations as well. So, you know, people attract people and in this case, sponsors attract sponsors. And so, uh, we got a lot of work to do on that end as well. Um, but uh, it's definitely good to see the momentum that we're building going into 2024. And obviously, you know, winning the last game does a, does a lot of good when it comes to creating positive momentum. I think you said there was a bit has been a, a I would I would consider it a, a, a pretty significant uptick when it comes to season ticket holders who have joined yes. for 2024, considering we won the Great Cup. Yeah, we, we already have 700 new season ticket holders. Um uh, for next year. And then that number continues to grow. And, uh, and that's very significant, especially in the short amount of time uh, that in itself shows the, the excitement around, uh, around the product. And uh, I think uh, we managed to connect with, with fans again. And um, you know, and the reality is, you know, 
probably over the last eight to 10 years when I was with the club and when I wasn't with the club, I would often hear people say like, God, oh, but you guys don't have the big local stars like you used to, you know, you used to have the, the Mathieu Pou and Etienne Boulet and Bruno Appel and Andre Bolduc and Sylvain Girard and Steve Charbonneau. I can go on and on and on. And, uh, and they go, you don't have that now. And it's like, actually we do. They're just not stars yet. And what I mean by that is, you know, guys like guys like Bruno and Mathieu Pou, they went to multiple Grey Cups. Even if you don't win the Grey Cup, that week at Grey Cup, the media exposure locally and nationally is times 10, times 100 uh, as far as, you know, how the, the notoriety uh, growth that your brand can have that week as, as a team and also as a player. And so um, what I've been saying all these years is like, once this team goes to the Grey Cup again, and then you start seeing all these extra stories about the local guys and the Christian Mats and the you know, Marc-Antoine de Croix, and as well as the American players that, have, that are making Montreal their home, um, that's what's going to make people realize, you know, how big stars these guys are. And I mean, let's face it, who in Quebec right now doesn't know who Marc-Antoine de Croix is, right? Uh, he was very well known before, um, but uh, in these last few weeks, uh, you know, the games that he's played, the, 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 the pick six on the opening drive in Toronto was just like, usually you don't have a turning point of a match in the first drop, offensive drive in one of the team. And he, uh, you know, that, that was huge. And uh, he's been making plays all year. Um, and then that just builds and builds and builds. And as we get into the playoffs and you do it again, and then you get the Grey Cup, uh, he played a great game at Grey Cup. He didn't get a pick six, but you don't need to be, you don't have to, you don't need to pick six every week to play an, an unbelievable game, which he did. And, um, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, his, his outcry after the game about, uh, uh how we felt, uh, about how we were just like, nobody believed in us. And, um, it was sort of an us against the world thing. Uh, that 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 was heard, you know, throughout throughout the province, and um, I think those are the kind of moments. Those I don't mean just that after the game, but I'm talking about that week um, and that game. Those are the moments that that take those local players and have them grow times ten in stature. And and same thing with like Cody Fajardo. I mean. My goodness. I mean, he's, he's such a likable guy. He's such a good locker room guy. Everybody loves him. You guys know, you see him all the time. Um, I think there are a lot more fans out there. They're kind of going like, Hey, you know, like I bump into friends of mine that are maybe casual football fans are like, Hey, you're that quarterback of yours. Cody looks like a pretty, pretty cool dude. I'm like, yeah, he's a hell of a quarterback too. So I think that's, that's what's helping us. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, what, what happened with uh, Mark Antoine, the I think that just galvanized this team as far as, building that reputation like i guess you want to you use the term us against the world so to speak i mean i guess yeah you can make the argument for that as well but i think if people didn't know who he was before gray cup they definitely know who he is afterwards and i i definitely see this team building on that and helping to reinforce it and help educate people as far as what this team is all about it's not just a bunch of quebecers playing football it's truly a quebec-based football team that's a part of this nation and a part of the conversation now as a result of winning the great cup. That's right. And, and you know what, and you're right. Like this is, 
first of all, there's 73 or 74 players that made up our roster this year. Uh, and add to that, you know, 11 coaches and, and the front office staff. And, um, you know, a lot of them are local players, whether they be Anglophone or Francophone, Quebecois players or Canadian players or American players. Um, they all, and, and, and credit goes to Jason Moss on this, where they all um, bought into um, the uniqueness of being the team that represents this city and this province. And, um, you know, Jason at the very outset made it, you know, wanted to celebrate what makes us unique because what makes us unique makes us stand out and makes us stronger and makes us better. And um, I think he, he did a great job of that right, out, right off the bat and at training camp. Uh, you've all heard the stories about he's asked all the players to, to learn their numbers in French and learn a few sentences or words in French. And, uh, and, and this was because he wanted all players to embrace what is unique about this team. There's no other team in the CFL that has that. There's no other team. There's a lot of things that are unique about our, uh, our franchise and our city. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, even within our organization and our, you know, our practice field or whatever, there's sometimes there are things that are unique about us that are, you know, maybe not necessarily an advantage if you're going to look at our practice facility compared to Saskatchewan, for example. But we're going to celebrate that it's unique, that it's ours, that it's different, and that's going to make us, um, by making us unified, that's going to make us stronger, and that's going to make us better. And, and I think that um, that's what Jay, what Jay and the coaches did a phenomenal job of is the sense of we, and uh, and everybody bought into that. Yeah, I think for us too, you're talking about just those, you know, coach, coach Moss, um, Dequah, and obviously with Cody, those are the. For the for what we did at, at Grey Cup, those are I think are the three most watched interviews or, or, or videos that we had. So it, it it makes a lot of sense because it's they want to see what these guys had to say. So I mean, and and you know, Coach Moss was doing it every day after practice. So um, obviously, you know, with the Grey Cup, it is gonna it's it is throwing a a huge positive. Uh, a lot of positives in for what's coming up in 2024. You know, it's it's you know we are at the end of the season. Yes, you the Alouettes are still Grey Cup champions, but you have to look forward to what's going to happen in 2024. How far are you uh, along when it comes to what you're going to be offering the fans uh, and what they'll see in stadium uh, coming up this next season? Well, very far along as far as looking at what we want to do. Um, having specifics is probably a little too early because there's going to have to be some choices made. But um, we do want to look at uh, upgrading some of the, uh, you know, amenities in the stadium. Um, we want to, um, you know, last year we did it kind of uh, with a very short um, um, time frame, but we want to be able to build a, a solid um, events calendar for the year and our game themes. And I think you guys saw last year that we had a lot more game themes. We built around the game themes a lot more um, to generate excitement and, and entertainment um, elements outside of the white lines. And uh, whether it be the opening the opening day concert or whether it be their Cirque Soleil, that unfortunately, well, that was one of the weather days that they played, that played havoc on us, but we were still able to pull it off inside the Thompson Hall. Um, uh, field house um, 
you know, building around those things, um, you know, that programming to me is key going into a year. If your programming is really solid, if you have a a Hall of Fame game where you're celebrating uh, players and and builders from the past, uh, people get very passionate about that. People love getting to see these guys again. And uh, so, um, yeah, we're we're well along as far as how we want to build that schedule for this year. Uh, we'd like to do some neat things in the stadium to add to some, you know, uh, game day experiences and have more uh, amenities at the stadium, working on the tailgate. Um, what can we add pregame show? The beer garden area is something that fans really appreciate. We see that. I think we could do a lot more with it. Um, so we're looking at that as well. Um, so still a little early because I don't want to, you know, put my foot in my mouth and then suggest we're going to do something and then realize that we won't be able to do it this year. And then, and then, you know, manage people's um, expectations. Um, You know, a good example of that is uh, I think uh, the organization was maybe a little, well, not too quick, but a little optimistic in, in the, in the timing of being able to get that new video board over here from uh, that we bought from the manufacturer over in Asia. And, it was it was slow to start with, and then there was a hurricane, and then we had this strike in the port in Vancouver, and we had all kinds of reasons for the thing to get here. You know, what was it about four days before our last home game? So, so the good news is it's here, um, and uh, and we'll definitely be up and, and running before our first uh, game next year. Uh, but uh, I would have liked to have uh, you know had that up there this season because that was one of the things that Mr. Pelado was very excited about saying like, okay, we want to send a message and we want to show that we're going to invest and bring, you know, uh, some new amenities to the, to the, to the stadium. And um, our intention was to be able to show that this year, but uh, we'll get it right in 2024. That's for sure. So uh, any chance uh, with all the popularity that's been surrounding her now, any chance at the first concert uh, for next year, if you guys are going to do a concert, can we see Taylor Swift perhaps play at Molten City? <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty big into football now, so I, I think this is a strike while the iron's hot, right? What do you, Cliffy? What do you think would be the? What would be more likely, us signing her for a halftime show, or, or or signing Charles Kelsey for to play to play inside receiver for us? What do you think? Well, listen, you had Laurent Duvernay Tardif on the negotiation list. He does know Travis Kelsey. True. Uh, yeah. I, I, to me, I, I think it would be a. It's worth a phone call, is it not? I mean, if we want to sell out for a small stadium, you, you want to create the buzz, don't you? Does, doesn't Mr. Carl Carl Pildo want to create that buzz again? I mean, awesome job with Our Lady Peace. There's no question about that. But I mean, now you got to go up higher, right? I mean, you got to take it to the next level. <laughs> I, th- I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna delegate that to you, and I'm gonna give you the authority <laughs> to go negotiate with Travis Kelsey and with Taylor Swift. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very fair with you. I'm only going to expect one of the two and hope, hope that you come through. I'll, I'll, I'll have my people get in touch with your people. <laughs> I got a sneaking suspicion, Cliff. We're going to end up uh, answering this question with a Taylor Swift song with never, ever getting back together. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 how, obviously, for most fans, I think I've received the uh, the, the postseason um, survey. Uh, I would suggest that obviously that fans take take a huge, you know take advantage of it and and give your feedback to the team itself. Um, I know there are a couple of milestones coming up in 2024, Mark. I mean, we had the 50th anniversary of the 74 team. I would sure. imagine the team's going to be looking at, at uh, doing something something this year. Obviously, obviously, you got the uh, the banner raising, obviously, and whatever's at whatever's going to be associated with that. But uh, um, any small things that you 
are, I know you said you don't want to put your foot in the mouth and then say something that's not going to happen a la the, the scoreboard, uh, in, in 2023, but, um, is there anything on your list that you would like to do? Not necessarily that it would be, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I, I think we'd like to, um, uh, and by the way, you, and you, you mentioned some good ones there, like, you know, next year is the 50th anniversary of the 74 breakup. So I think in some shape or form, the organization is going to dive into that and see how we can um, um, celebrate that and what that will, how that will take shape is something that uh, that's the part that's still too early to say, but you know, there's definitely um, some thought being put into that uh, for sure. Uh, the raising the banner, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I think what I would like to see is, you know, the stadium has, um, it's, it's still a fantastic place to watch a football game. It always will be. I think it just needs a little TLC. I think it just mm-hmm. needs a little bit of, uh, you know, fresh coat of paint. It needs, uh, you know, a few things here and there that, that I would like to see us do uh, for next season. So that when you walk into the, to that first game next year, that you kind of see like, Oh, okay. All right. Um, you know, McGill are very proud of the stadium. We're very proud of the stadium. We worked very hard over, for many years to, to get that, uh, expansion done and, and, and renovation done. And, um, and it's been a few years now. So I think just a little TLC, um, is, is, is one of the things that uh, I really want us to, to have a look at. And I want to make sure that we find a way to, um, you know, work on facilitating the access and facilitating the access sometimes just means communicating better how to get there. Um, because what's happening is we're, we're in the process of renewing our fan base right now. Uh, when we had, you know, whatever it was, 16, 17,000 season tickets, even over 18 at one point, most of the people coming to the games every week were the same people, um, not exclusively, but the majority. And so once you've been there three, three, four, five times, you, everybody has their little nook and cranny. They have their little side street where there's a parking spot or somebody's backyard or they, you kind of figure out where to go. I'm sure you guys have your routine, you know where to go. And, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not as big a deal as for somebody that's never been there that maybe is not familiar with that part of downtown that, show up half an hour before the game thinking that they're early and then they realize they're going to, you know, maybe have to hunt and peck to find parking and stuff like that. And so I think that one thing that we want to do is to do a better job of helping those first time uh, fans, um, you know, find those nooks and crannies and understand that it's, it it actually is, is not that difficult to, to get to the stadium, to, to facilitate their access, help them get there early. And, uh, and that goes to our programming as well, right? Having those bands playing in the, in the, um, uh, the beer garden and pregame. Um, one thing, this is a smaller thing, but this is probably a more direct answer to your question is like the DJ, like I want the DJ to be with the crowd. I, I like, we did this in hockey and I loved it where they have a DJ booth where you're, you're with the crowd. You're not up in a booth somewhere and nobody knows, really knows where you are. And, uh, we, we, we actually did this in Laval first and, and they do it at the Bell Center now even. Um, and uh, I think that that brings a nice energy and vibe to the, to the game. So it's really a whole bunch of little things like that, mm-hmm. Tim, that I think we, we need to add for next year. Any, um, yeah, I know we haven't talked about it much, but 
any of the new uh, perks for season ticket holders that you would, might find interesting? Because I know one that I found that was interesting, which I think you guys were testing out a little bit last year, was the dedicated line for season ticket holders at each entrance. To me, that, I love that idea. Any, any of the ones that you want to highlight? Yeah, well, again, uh, a little too early for me. We're still post-mortaring last season. So it's a little early for me to do any of that. We can do this again in the spring and I probably have a long list of things that I could roll up <laughs> and I'd be happy to do. Uh, but I can touch on that one because we actually started doing that at the end of this season, right? Is having dedicated access for season ticket holders. So it becomes one of those benefits. I mean, becoming a season ticket holder, you know, your primary value is you get your same seat every game. Your secondary value usually ends up being the fact that you 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 save on your purchase, right? You save twenty five percent. So if you buy mm-hmm. ten games, you're actually paying for seven and a half games. And if you paid before Grey Cup, you actually got a thirty percent discount. So you're buying seven games, getting ten, uh, which is really one of the big added values of being a season ticket holder as well. But then there's a long list of other advantages that you have as well, including being invited to some uh, exclusive events like the uh, fan day at practice that we had a couple of uh, weeks ago and uh, getting special access to our locker room sale next weekend where you'll you'll get in before the crowd um, because you're a season ticket member and um, and uh, and then getting into the stadium that's another one you're right having a dedicated lane so that if, if I'm a season ticket holder uh, I can go through the fast lane it's kind of like going through the nexus lane at the airport uh, where uh, where you get a privileged access. I think also too, you guys are. To me, I've always it's uh, as long as I've been a supporter and a season ticket member, I've always tried to. Whenever the team was um, had available the season ticket bank, and I know a lot of season ticket holders really did not take advantage of it because um, either they didn't know about it or they didn't know how it worked. I know the team, if I'm not mistaken, the team's slightly modifying it for 2024, but I know we can talk about it more uh, more later on in in, in the new year, but. Um, you know, how important is it for, for season ticket members to take advantage of every single perk that they've been given? Well, I mean, I think it depends on the person, right? I mean, what's, what is a top perk for one person may be of less consequence to another. So I think that that's why we try to uh, identify the things that people are going to uh, enjoy the most. And, uh, and some people like some things better than others. And I think that's, that's the beauty of what we're trying to put together and what we've put together in the past. I think that uh, the team's done a pretty good job of this over the years is, is having some advantages and added uh, value items that, uh, that help um, yeah, give, uh, yeah, bring value to, to season ticket members so that you're, you know, because the one golden rule is the season ticket holder uh, always has to have the best deal. You always have to have the best. There may be some things that we offer to other members as well, like uh, uh, or other clients as well. But um, it, it's always going to be uh, the best deal. Always has to be to the um, to the season ticket holder. Yeah. And also, too, I, I guess it's kind of straddling that line as well. You're absolutely right. You do have to take care of your season ticket holders because they are your bread and butter. But at the same time, those casual fans whose money is just as important. We want to make sure that they feel included as well, that they feel like they're going to be a part of the experience as well with Montreal Alouettes. Well, that's just it, right? That's that's the challenge, right? I mean, um, you we sometimes will do special promotions or something to attract people to come to the stadium for maybe the first or second time. Because uh, once you come to one game, now our objective is to get you to come back to a second game and a third game and working you up the ladder you know, uh, uh, or up the, uh, up the escalator, so to speak, so that once you're at the top step, you're a season ticket holder. Well, sometimes it's just getting people on that first step can be the hardest thing. And so 
We can sometimes be aggressive in some of the offers that we'll make, uh, but we'll always make sure that that somehow translates into uh, making sure that the season ticket member has the, uh, the the biggest advantage. You know, sometimes season ticket members are offered extra tickets for for games at the end of the season, as you know, and or the bank or whatever. Well, a lot of that has to do with being able to say, okay, so if I do a special promo at one point for one game, well, the you know the the added value you know that that client is getting for coming to one game is still less than what we gave to our season ticket members in their overall package and uh, again that's why that's all kind of it's very carefully thought through um because at the end of the day season ticket members uh, they want a winning team and they want a full stadium because it's it's a better atmosphere and so um, we try to find that good balance so that people understand that what we're doing is we're trying to recruit the next generation of fans. We had a fantastic uh, generation of fans that followed this organization and lived through that dynasty. But over the last 10 years, it's been a little bit tougher to because uh, there hasn't been a lot of success on the field. And uh, at the end of the day, what that means is that every year we missed another generation of fans that maybe we didn't, you know, get them hooked on the owls and getting them come out as quickly. And so the quicker that we now, you know, replenish that, 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 that base and bring in more young fans, uh, then the better off that we're all going to be, you know, that's something that I noticed a lot in working in, in Europe where they have a much more, um, supporter vision of the team, uh, in the sense that, uh, we were doing some stuff with, uh, season tickets and, 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 and lane shopping in Sweden. And uh, we are, we started offering them uh, their their season ticket members certain advantages and 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 a discount if you ordered by this date and all that. We actually it worked great, and you know I think we increased season ticket base by fifteen percent in that first year, which was great. But what really um, what I remember the most, and and this really resonated with me, is that we probably had about fifteen fans that called in and said, "I'm sending you the check for the season ticket amount for the full amount." And we said, "Well, no, if you." pay by if you pay now you're actually getting this discount and so you 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 save money if you're sending it now and they said i don't want to save money i want you guys to raise as much money as possible so you can you know sign contracts of the best players possible so we can get back in the playoffs next year because we'd miss the playoffs that year and when the first person called i'm like that i'm like wow that was that was kind of unique and, and then somebody else called and said the same thing. And some people wrote in and they said that sent in the check for the full amount, say, they, go get this guy next year. You know, <laughs> they, they were very, so they were really looking at it from a pure fan supporter side. And I think it's a little bit more true in Europe, uh, whereas we're a little bit more commercial here in, in North America. And I think somewhere in the middle there, there's there's a really good mix that you you, you hope to reach where you want your fans to understand why you're, doing these extra promos and extra efforts to get people to come out to a game for the first time. Cause you know what we, and I'm going to speak in a, with the, a collective we here, like we, the administration and also the, the season ticket fan base and our diehard fans want to attract more of us so that um, we fill up that stadium and, uh, and can celebrate uh, hopefully many victories uh, together with uh, sold out crowds one day. I think, by the way, real quick, uh, to me, one good example of what you just mentioned, Mark, is what I did and what many did for the Alouettes during the COVID season. It was, do you want to keep your money within the team? Do you support your team this way? You know, and it wasn't that type of thing, but the amount of people that left their money with the Owls to show 
that there's support for the team, even if there wasn't a 2020 season. I think that's a, something very similar, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you're so right. it's, yeah. Um, Hey, listen, Mark, we, we, we appreciate your time. We have, you know, we appreciate knowing you. We appreciate seeing you every week uh, at the stadium. Uh, we love talking with you. Uh, hopefully, again, like we have for the past, this, you know, past four years, hopefully we'll continue with this state of the, uh, state of the team uh, convo that we have every year on our season finale. But uh, congratulations on that uh, Grey Cup win, my friend. Uh, what a way to, to, to celebrate your first year back. And uh, obviously, we, we wish you the best for, uh, for 2024. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thank you both. Um, appreciate the kind words. You know, I always have a ton of fun chatting with you guys. Love what you guys do with the flight deck. And, uh, uh, you know, nobody works harder. Um, so that's very appreciative because you're helping us spread the word um, uh, about the Owls and about these fantastic players that we have and, and coaches that make up a really uh, a really great organization. And when it works out the way it does at the end of this year, I mean, it's, it's even more fun to spread the good word. And uh, and hopefully, uh, well, uh, hopefully I have a pretty good idea. We're going to have some uh, fun news to share with you in, in the uh, not-so-distant future. And uh, some of those longer-term plans uh, might come to light as well in the next uh, months. Um, so uh, hopefully we can do this again uh, in the spring for sure and uh, be able to fill in more of the blanks all the fun stuff we're going to do to make sure that coming to the game next year is going to be even more exciting. That's now, great. Quick question. Uh, our rings, uh, do we send you the measurements or do we send those again to Mr. Pelado? <laughs> yeah, no, you send them to me. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll, I'll filter those first. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. Uh, like, as Tim said, we, we definitely appreciate being able to chat with you on this, uh, seeing you at the stadium, this whole experience, this whole year, is definitely one we will not forget anytime soon. Uh, congratulations once again for everything. And we could not be more excited for the 2024 season. As far as we're concerned, May 2024 cannot come fast enough. I uh, Give me a few weeks and then I'll say I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to enjoy catching our breath a little bit, uh, even though we still got our foot to the floor as far as getting ready for next year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so let me take this opportunity to wish you and, and all the listeners uh, very happy holidays. Um, thank you uh, again to both of you, but also all your listeners for all of your support um, coming out to the games, coming out to the parade, coming out uh, and, and I'm sure coming out to our locker sale next, uh, next Sunday. Uh, I couldn't do this without you guys. And uh, uh, I also am looking forward to doing this again in the stadium next year. These interviews never disappoint. Uh, I know we, it's funny, we, we kind of started it unofficially back in year one with Mark. Um, <laughs> with, with, I don't know if many people remember that. I know I had forgotten. Such a great memory, memory on you, Capper. Um, but went from there and on to Mario Ticini and now continues with, with Mark. A great insight on the team itself, great insight on how he became the president. Um, and, and it was a very interesting story in itself, I will admit, Cliff, but to, you know, needless to say, uh, from what we found out from Mark, I, I can't wait for 2024. Uh, I know he wasn't able to give us that much information because some of the stuff was still up in the air and they're still trying to, trying to you know, cross the T's and dot the I's. But again, I, I, I love being able to continue this tradition with us speaking with the Owls presidents. Yeah, what a, what a difference a year makes, though, because this time last year, we had just finished speaking with Mario Ciccini, uh, basically the same thing, talking about the year that was, and 
we could not have foreseen what had happened to him and the Alouettes going into 2023. And it's such a crazy twist of fate that we end up doing this year's interview in 2023 with Mark Waitman. Absolutely thrilled to be able to talk to him though. Uh, Again, he's, he's always shown us the love. Uh, He, he, he gets the podcast. He gets everything about what we're trying to do for Alouettes nation and such a treat, such a privilege really to be able Mm -hmm. to talk to him and just get his thoughts on the season that was and even as you said a, a little peek as to what's to come in 2024 so that's absolutely fantastic once again mark we appreciate everything you have done for us this year we definitely appreciate you spending some time with us to you know inform LOS nation of what's going on and as i said i, I i'm just i'm jacked i'm excited for this next season to, to happen i i yeah i mean Late May cannot come fast enough, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, as as Mark mentioned, by the way, too. Do not forget, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, that the uh, uh, annual locker room sale for the Alouettes is going to be happening this Sunday. Uh, from t- uh, we'll be starting at 10 a.m. The first two hours are going to be reserved specifically for season ticket holders, uh, but then from there it will be available to uh, all Alouettes fans. Uh, within the city so uh, uh, come on out support the team I'm sure we'll get some great uh, discounts and uh, hopefully get some great uh, game war merchandise too so uh, can't wait can't wait for that obviously um, as, as as we keep referring to it, I said you know this is season finale what a year itself you know w- we felt it was necessary that we that we have to at least kind of do our own uh, review of the season uh, through our eyes, through, you know, through supporters' eyes, through the media's eyes. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a question of, because, you know, we've talked about so many different things, Cliff, you know, where to start it. You know, you hinted at before, you know, it started off with Mario, the whole ownership issue, and, and then switches, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where, where would you, if you were to start the season review, where would you start it? Would you start it in January of 2023? Where, where specifically would you start the season and, and how would you go from there? I think you have to start right at the top, which would be January 2023. Uh, we came to like, we, we had gone through in 2022, you know, being so close to getting to the Grey Cup and thinking to ourselves, okay, what do we have to do to win the Grey Cup in 2023? Mm-hmm. What what needs to be done? And we knew that Jason Moss was coming in as head coach. It was probably the worst kept secret, actually, <laughs> when you think about it. To the point where I even said, like, once uh, once Moss was being shown the door in Saskatchewan, why didn't they just bring him in? Like, why why go through the whole song and dance of interviewing other coaches when we all know it's going to be Jason Moss? But you know, like who, who, I guess at this point, who are we to question anything the team does when it comes to, you know, personnel or, or whatnot, because they're doing it right. I mean, they, they clearly did it right. I mean, the, the result was worth it. It was just the, the, the destiny, the journey, I guess, to get there was a bit baffling at times. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we find out that uh, Mario Ciccini was not going to have his contract renewed and couldn't figure out why, then we found out that the uh, ownership group uh, led by Gary Stern had decided that maybe they don't want to be football owners anymore. 
and we're looking to get out. And that also too was troublesome because that kind of led to a lot of in, uh, uncertainty as far as what was going to happen. Like, cause there was free agents that needed to be signed yeah. that we wanted or that we felt that needed to come back in order for this team to go and compete for the gray cup and nothing doing. I mean, Danny Machocha is sitting there basically with his hands tied, unable to sign anyone of, you know, he couldn't, he could sign players, but he couldn't really offer bonuses. He couldn't spend to the cap. We, you know, there was just so much uncertainty and, everything was kind of shrouded in mystery and we're just sitting here going, what the hell is going on? Like something is, something's rotten in Denmark, as they say. And, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we were, we were just wondering what the hell was going on. And I know. And this was also the time too, by the way, people need to remember that, you know, Jason Moss had already been hired. He was hired in December, in mid December of 2022, mm-hmm. you know, and then we basically went through that, that period there about a month, month plus until we found out that again, you're talking about Gary Stern and then, and then, you know, uh, the Spiegel family, not wanting to have the team anymore, wanted to get rid of the team. You know, we we found out in February, you know, we found it, we found out on Valentine's day. <laughs> that the CFL was taking a well, happy Valentine's Day, Alouette uh, fans. <laughs> that you know that the CFL taking over, and what's funny, Mario Cicchini was put in place as our interim president. Yeah, he <laughs> so. was. Yeah, he he was. I, I won't say shown the door necessarily, but there was a parting of the ways. And uh, again. Danny Machocha couldn't do anything because you need normally you need a president to sign off on some of these moves. And with no president to sign off on moves, you can't make moves. Yeah. And it, it was just very confusing, all this. But then, yes, we got the, the word that, yes, the CFL was going to step in and take ownership of the team, reinstate Mario as the interim president until new ownership would be found. So at least the team could start doing free agent things like signing players. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, problem was, though, uh, by the time that they got the go-ahead to do so, uh, this was also during the CFL's tampering window being open, and a lot of the players that we expected to come back or were hopeful that would come back ended up... They took a look at the situation that was before them and said, no, no, this isn't for me. I, I, I either need to get paid, I need the security, I need the stability... And that's just not happening in the five one four. So, out the door they go, and, yeah. and and we're stuck wondering. Okay, well now what? Because I mean the the big the big names like the Trevor Harris's, uh, Jake Winnikes, the Eugene Lewis's, those were guys that. And again, I don't fault any of them for doing what they had what they felt they had to do in order to make a living and play football. They looked at the situation in Montreal and said, "I'm out skis and." <laughs> They left and then became, okay, well, if they're not going to play for us, who is going to play for us? Yeah. And that led to a very interesting period with free agency. And we got introduced to the next starting quarterback, which I kind of foretold a little bit back in when, once they hired uh, Jason Moss, I kind of said jokingly, now watch them sign Cody Fajardo just to prove that they weren't the problem in Saskatchewan. And what happens? <laughs> The Alouettes signed Cody Fajardo. 
and it's funny because a lot of people just lambasted the move. They just thought, "Oh, this is terrible." Like he's washed, he's finished. This guy's terrible. He was what? What? It, the story didn't end well in Saskatchewan, and now he's back with Jason Moss, who was also terrible, and all that nonsense. And I remember thinking to myself, "Okay, well, maybe they weren't the problem." I mean. Yeah, it didn't end well for either one of them in Saskatchewan, but and maybe sometimes it's, it could just be something as simple as a change of scenery could make all the difference. And except we didn't know it at the time that yes, that yeah. ended up being the best possible thing to happen for this Alouettes organization. But I remember the move, I'm like kind of laughing a little bit, like, oh, okay, well, hey, let's let's see how this works. I mean, it. <laughs> It's funny because again, I I didn't hate Trevor Harris, but at the same time, I still I, I was firmly of the idea that he was not the solution. I mean, call, call it bitterness from the, also the you know the subsequent departure of Vernon Adams. Call it what you will, but like okay, well now we've got Cody Fajardo as the quarterback. We've got Jason Moss as the head coach. Let's see what happens and. Quite yeah. a bit happened since then, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, Cody Fajardo was also on Valentine's Day. That's when he was officially signed for the Alouette. So that was a hell of a that was a hell of a thing. I didn't, I don't even remember getting a Valentine's Day card. I didn't remember them saying that that they would choo choo choose me. So <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, no, no. <laughs> um, I mean, our hearts were not broken, but at the same time, it was just like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we we kind of felt like those kids with the uh, the empty empty boxes, uh, uh, like no Valentines in them at first, because like, hey, nobody's choosing us. What's exactly. going on? <laughs> but uh, again, it then we we find out about the new ownership group, and I mean, it was about a month later. I mean, for for a, a team to be sold in that that period of time, Acliff is just. Uh, it makes you wonder what happened a couple years prior with, with this with the whole Spiegel thing. Because remember, there were there were some you know there were some interesting shenanigans that we felt that and things that didn't just seem right when it came to the to this uh, Spiegel Stern ownership group and and then how PKP is able to just stand up here and, and you know within a month later he he not Quebec or he buys the team. You know, right. I mean. And it was it was announced almost a month later. I mean, March tenth of twenty twenty three was announced that Pierre Carpelado has had purchased the the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah. So and and, and and there was also a lot of talk with okay, why is he buying the Alouettes? Is it simply because Quebec Corps is a major media company, and he has designs on going nationwide? Is this sort of a gateway for him to be able to do that? Is this mm -hmm possibility for him to potentially bid on and even secure the French language rights for the Canadian football league broadcasts or even the entire thing. If, if it has to be done that way, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of questions were raised immediately as to why this billionaire decided to buy the team. But as you yeah. said, it's not Quebec or that's buying the, the Alouettes. It's truly Pierre Carpello himself. And the guy's a billionaire. He can definitely afford a Canadian football league team. And he can, like, there's no, there's not going to be any money uncertainties. When you have a billionaire with a B owning this Canadian football league franchise, you know, the bills are going to be paid on time. You mm -hmm. know that you, you now have that backing from ownership that, yeah, I want to win a championship. I want to bring the, the great cup back to Quebec. I want to bring the great cup to Montreal. So 
basically giving Danny Machocha the green light to say, okay, you go and you build that team. You go build that great cup winning team. We got the bills. It's all, you know, no worries. The, the checks are going to clear. That had to be such a relief for, for, for Danny Mac because <laughs> he went to work right away. I mean, he started bringing in players and he's, a lot of the moves were like, oh, wow, oh, okay, okay. So, you know, he, he shored up a lot of the uh, players that were on the team last year. As we said, there was a lot of great players that had to stick around, and he made sure that they did, brought in some fresh faces, brought in some new talents. I mean, we talked about it numerous times. You can't just easily replace a Eugene Lewis or Jake Winicky, but the talent that was brought in did a very admirable job, I must say. I mean, that's... Like this time last year, you had no idea who Tyler Sneed or Austin Mack were, and they end up becoming household names on this organization. And wow, you're just, at, I'm truly now at the point where if Danny, if Danny Machocha decides to sign somebody, I'm not going to question it. I, I, I think, I think at this point he knows <laughs> what he's doing. I mean, people were giving him the gears because it seemed like anybody who was born in the province of Quebec and plays football is going to have a a shot with the Alouettes. And for the most part they are, but he's cut a lot of Quebecers too. And he's, he's gotten rid of guys that he didn't think were part of the mix that, that would, were that right formula for this championship winning team. And you may have questioned some of those moves, but you can't argue with the results. I mean, without question with the backing of ownership, uh, with a new president, a new old president back in the fold, yeah, I mean, Danny Machocha was simply allowed to do what he does best, and clearly, it's build championship winning rosters. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I agree with you because, and it's it. We were critical of of, of what was done with with uh, the signings and stuff like that. But I agree with you. I, I we really can't. We we really can't. We just got to go with with Ma- Denny Mac. I mean, in Denny Mac, we it is. It's in Denny Mac we trust now. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's uh, you know. I said Mark came in late March, right up right. We were we had the cash in order to get these guys, but but again, as you said, the roster. I, I you know people have said well, Tim, maybe that's not really the right question, but going into training camp. It really was like a, it was like wasn't let's say a who's who on the roster. It was like who on so the who, roster? <laughs> like, a, a who's that? Yeah, yeah, roster. exactly, exactly. Because it really was it, it was a, very close to being a very brand new team. I know I was calling them an ex, very close to being an expansion club, yeah. uh, but some of the guys that, that had been on the roster before, we saw through camp. Something about Jason Moss and how he and, and if everybody remembers the the original, um, I guess we could say the hype video that was done uh, in the uh, um, the in the nest uh, mini documentary. Um, it everybody I don't want to say bought into it, but everybody believed the whole grade eight thing. The whole, you know, everybody, it, it, nobody, I don't know if anybody, you know, you look at the, the, you know, the logo that was made up for the whole season itself. So much symbolism behind it. Uh, and th- that's a deep dive, by the way, that I will need to go into. Uh, uh, it's one of my off-season projects that I want to do. Um, but they all, 
they all believed in what Coach Moss was was saying, what he was preaching. And we saw that in camp again. These guys, some of these guys that we'd never heard of before, what they're able to do, bringing in the Austin Mac, what a what a godsend to, to be able to bring this guy in. And, you know, but again, also you have these guys, the Tyler Sneeds also, guys that we've never heard of before, just ball out and make the rosters. You know, I mean, it's, you also have, you know, you have the ones like who had been on the roster already and made an, a small name for themselves. You know, the, 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 what Cole Speaker did this past season. These guys just stepped up. So many guys, man. It's That was one of the we, things that made, made me laugh. You were talking about receivers, and that was one of the big criticisms right away with a lot of the people doing their season previews. Like, who the hell's going to catch? It's great that you've gotten in Cody Fajardo, I guess, but who the hell's he throwing the ball to aside from Tyson mm-hmm. Philpot? I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, because yeah, Reggie, Reggie White was on the, on the mend, and he didn't play, end up playing all year. Nope. And, okay, yeah, you had uh, Keon Julian Grant, who – I think a lot of people were sleeping on, but boy, that the first part of the season, he, he was playing like a man possessed, but you're yeah. right. Like going back to, okay, well, yeah, you got Tyson Philpot, you got KJG and we had Hergie Maiella. We had Hergie Maiella also we, for, we for a short period. Yeah. No. And, and that's the thing like right there, that's three national receivers who have played in this league and have had varying amounts of success. But then, Aside from that, a lot of these players were just simply unknown. Not to say they didn't have talent, but a lot of people didn't know these guys from a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. But we got to, as you said, we talked we talked about what we saw in training camp. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay, we hey, we got some talent here. Like, like I said, I, I've never shied away from the fact that Austin Mack, I knew who he was simply because he played for the San Francisco 49ers. And he had talent there. So I'm like, okay, well, this this is one of those guys that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. And sure enough, he, he brought it every day at camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Sneed, like, okay, this, this little guy, what what can he do? Oh, holy crap. This guy's And like, he's a little dude. He's my size. I'm well like under it. six foot, but he he, he, he just, man. Uh, I, I've jokingly called him Cahoon 3.0 because <laughs> just like Ben Cahoon, the, the, the legendary Ben Cahoon, I mean, he's short in stature, but boy, does he play with heart. Boy, is he, he'll, he'll get you those dirty yards uh, on second and short, and he'll he'll grind out. Like, you can smack this guy around, and he just gets up and keeps on coming. Like, the, I mean, he, he plays exactly like Ben Cahoon did and Bo Bowling before him. So that would be Cahoon 2.0. There you go. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence, hence why it's 3.0 now for, yeah. for Tyler yeah. Sneed. And boy, is he... And, and he he got told about it right away, like you know the comparisons right away. And he boned up on his history. He found out all about Ben Cahoon, and you know he said, "If I could play half as good as this guy, I know I'm on the right track." Well, yeah. Tell you what, I, I tell you what, Tyler, you you this year you have proven that you are definitely in that conversation. You are you you, you still got a ways to go to be able to match what Ben Cahoon's been able to do, but what he's what, what Tyler Sneed has done this season nothing short of spectacular and as they say the best is yet to come yeah also people forget too that we, we didn't lose just our first string quarterback we also lost our second string quarterback also to free agency so we basically had cody and we cody came in and and we also had um caleb evans come in you know and and and, and uh, davis alexander still stalwart at he is learning just this dude just learning he didn't get much playing time this season 
but he just he, he just he just he's taking it all in you see him on the sidelines watching him during the game it's it's just i can only imagine if this guy's ever given a chance because we've seen what he can do in camp you oh, know God. what he's done in the preseason games Oh my God! Yeah, and I, I as as far as I was concerned, he should have been the backup. Like no disrespect to Caleb Evans. I mean, Caleb Evans did a fantastic job this year. Uh, he played actually played two games this year and won them. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's undefeated as a starter for the Alouettes. I mean, that's that's remarkable all by itself. But I mean, we we wanted so badly for Davis to get that opportunity for him to be considered that guy. It didn't work out, but you just know that he's got just that much more experience under his belt now he knows what it's like to be on a championship team i mean that's going to be driving him that you i'm so looking forward to seeing him in training camp this year if only because he's going to want to prove he's not a third stringer and i'm sure a mm-hmm. lot of people will have that thought of him and i truly expect him to compete and not to knock uh, caleb evans off or, or push him aside but there's got to be a way to make these guys like okay if cody's obviously number one how do we make can we do it like a go a two A two B situation when it comes to Caleb Evans and Davis Alexander? You got to find a way to get K- Davis Alexander on the field as much as possible. I mean, and not just in mop up duty or, or or something like that. You've got to find a way to re- get this guy some real reps because the talent is there. There's no question in my mind that this kid can be a CFL quarterback and even a starting CFL quarterback. Maybe it's just a matter of getting just a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more under his belt. I, I have to believe that this Grey Cup run showed him what it was like, what it takes to be a championship quarterback. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that Cody Fajardo has shown him the way, so to speak, and just working alongside of Evans and uh, AC, the quarterback coach. I mean, yeah. talk about talk about great history lessons right there. Like, like how to how to be a winner, how to carry yourself as a, a winner and as a champion. The future is extremely bright at quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes, and I I am so stoked to see Davis hopefully get the opportunity to take it to the next level in twenty twenty four. We we go through camp and said we we had, we had our time there. We obviously this is so it is going to be our yearly pilgrimage. I think no matter where it is and if it's in twelve year next year in twenty twenty four, which we're expecting it to be. Uh, you, you, I'm sure you'll be able to see us there. Um, without question. And yeah, I, I'm going to say one other thing too, like this yeah. year we got the opportunity to be at, at camp. We, we wanted to take the opportunity to be at camp as much as possible. Uh, obviously we, we work regular jobs, so we couldn't be there every single day, but trust you, me folks, like we, we were able to set things up and do some things this year that we weren't able to do in years previous. And we want to do more like we know we can do more and we have every intention if camp's going to be in 12 Riviera, we've already got our headquarters there which is fantastic that we're going <laughs> to take full advantage of if they decide they're going to set up somewhere else so be it we'll be ready for that as well but uh yeah i, I think we, we've talked about this for years like i think you know training camp is such an important thing for fans to check out for alwitz nation to be a part of and absolutely without question Tim and I will be there as much as we possibly can. And hopefully you folks as well will make the pilgrimage to training camp too. Exactly. And, and obviously that's where, that's where the whole, uh, I, uh, you know, the whole, uh, light bulb idea of, of flight deck live came about. That's where it debuted and mm-hmm. it just grew from there. Um, and, and then we got to, you know, we did the preseason games and then, 
I, I'm trying to remember. God, we've done so many shows this year, Cliff. We get to the cuts. This year's cuts weren't as divisive as they were from 2023 because there were some people that we felt that should have made the team in 2023 and didn't. 2022. Sorry, in 20. Uh, yeah, sorry, in 2022. 2023 was was different. We it, we really didn't feel the same way because we we saw some of these guys. They they were carryovers. You know, uh, you know, it's the. It makes you wonder. You see how well a guy does in just one year, and you're like, okay, you can say to yourself, I was wrong. I was wrong about this guy. He really is making an impact on this team, even if he, even if he did stay on the uh, on the practice roster for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, I think cuts this year, cut down day this year was not as a big a deal as it was the year prior. Do you agree? I would say so. I mean, uh, and it's funny because it, the cut down day inadvertently ended up leading to one of the biggest stories of the year with one of the, one of the final cuts made from training camp. But uh, yeah, when you looked at it initially, you're like, okay, well, again, there's, there's no like what the hell moment when it came, <laughs> when you look, when you saw the final, the final cuts, you're like, okay, uh, okay. But, oh, okay. I, I figured, okay, he was worthy of a practice roster spot, but you know, we talk about it too. Like sometimes it really just comes down to the numbers game. Like sometimes, yeah, the guys who are on the practice roster had just a touch more of that it factor that the team wanted, and you know, it it it's tough when it comes to cuts because you you're, you you see certain players like they cut him really, and like oh oh or oh they cut him oh okay that's. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, it's tough. I mean, this year when I looked at the, you know, the, uh, the final cuts, like a lot of them I came to, I, I sort of expected. Uh, the one cut that was a little surprising, but maybe not so much at the time, was Reggie Stubblefield. Yeah. And like I said, he had a fantastic camp as far as I was concerned. Like he, he did everything he was supposed to do. And he, he, he you noticed him. I'm like, Oh, so they're not keeping. Like, I figured he was at the very, very least worthy of a practice roster spot. Actually, it's funny. I think you and I were back and forth, and it it, it kind of leads up to another story too. And I, I don't, I don't mean mean to to cross streams here. I think if I'm not mistaken, you and I were. It was the difference between Reggie Stubbefield and KB Ento. If I remember correctly, I think that's, that's what it was. Yeah, and we remember seeing KBN play. He he was another one who played absolutely outstanding during training camp. Uh, camp. Uh, preseason games too. He, he looked solid. I mean, I would say Stubblefield, Ento, and uh, Courtney Davis mm-hmm. were three names that were just like the always have to keep these guys somehow. Like even if it's just on the practice roster, uh, they agreed for the most part. Courtney Davis and KBN Ento did make the practice roster. Uh, Stubblefield didn't, so it it could have been just as tight that just that tightness. <laughs> you, know, you got to two out of three. You got you got to pick two out of three. And like, oh, I don't want to pick. The, I want them all. But yeah, and unfortunately, Reggie was the odd man out, and I, I was surprised because yeah, like okay, you know, it, maybe it truly was just the numbers. You know, maybe that's just that's just how it is. You know, I mean, he's a young man. He'll he'll be fine. He'll you know, hopefully. 
you know, stay by the phone, get ready, you know, stay ready. You never know that that call could come. All it takes is one or two injuries and then they end up calling you back. That's what happened to uh, Antonio Pipkin. Uh, I think it was back in 2018. Had a, a very solid camp, but uh, ended up being released. A couple injuries happened at quarterback and Pipkin's back in the fold because he knows the playbook. He, the coaches know who he is. Yeah. A great relationship. It was just a matter of, okay, be ready when your number's called. We, we say it all the time to these players and we say it to everybody that's listening is be ready when your number's called. And that's essentially what ended up happening with Reggie was, you know, a, couple, a few weeks in, into the season, a couple of these. Just after week players. three, just after week three, I just looked it up. Yep. A couple of guys go down to injury, uh, end up on the six game list and the team calls you back. And, you know, if, if you're not signed and that's the other thing too, is these players sometimes will end up on practice rosters for other teams or, you know, sometimes that's, that's too. A, a lot of players will get, picked up is okay another team sees them in alouette's training camp like oh you know what this guy's pretty good i think i want him and then they sign him because if the the team can't find a place for him we'll find a place for him but as as it turns out um, nobody had signed reggie at that point so they brought him back into the fold and you kind of got the feeling that the minute he stepped onto the field he was going to make them regret cutting him and there is going to be no discussion as far as whether we keep this guy or not, because he was going to play his ass off. Yeah, <laughs> sure and, enough. Yeah. Sure and he enough. had a chance. He had a chance too, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Winnipeg also in the mix, but he did not sign with Winnipeg when, when he was cut. Isn't that, isn't that also interesting? Yep. He, he mentioned that as well uh, in, in our great cup interview that, uh, yeah, he had an offer from Winnipeg and, Almost took it, but then Montreal came calling because, as I said, the injuries happened, and uh, I, I won't say they begged him, but uh, you know, they, he, he he said he had a lot of love for Coach Thorpe. He had a lot of love for the team, for the city of Montreal, and he's like, "Okay, I I I, I think I want to be a part of this." And could you imagine if Reggie did end up signing with the Blue Bombers? Like, would he have gotten <laughs> the opportunities that he did? I it's know. hard to say. And, and but, would he be what we what we do consider here? At the uh, at the flight deck, our most outstanding rookie. You know what I mean? <laughs> See, there's so many what ifs, but I mean, things worked out the way they did. Reggie came back to Montreal. Sure enough, gets into the lineup, makes an impact almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And to the point where you're sitting there, like, how could you cut this guy in the first place? <laughs> what were you I thinking? Know. And yeah, again, like we said. Training camp, it, it, it's so tough. You, you really only have a finite number of spots. You can't keep everybody, but like you still look at it. And like we, we said it at the time, too, it's like, how could you not find a spot for this guy on the practice roster? But mm-hmm. you know what? It, you know, they say timing is everything, right? And that's exactly what happened. And Reggie, to his credit, ran with the ball, so to speak, and made the most of it. And look what's happened. You're absolutely right. Alouette's nominee for most outstanding rookie should have gotten CFL most outstanding rookie, but okay. It just wasn't meant to be in that case. But the one thing, the one award he did win and that will no, no one will ever take away from him is the award, the, the biggest award of Grey cup champion. His yeah. name is going to go on that trophy and it will be there forever. And yeah. that's amazing. And, and I'm, I'm sure if you were to ask him now, he just, he's, I think he's pretty happy with how things turned out in the end. I think so too. Oh, and by the way, in between, 
you know, before Reggie gets signed, um, the Alouettes, and we, it's not the Alouettes we had heard about this. We, I think we maybe heard that they were that they were doing something potentially for RDS, sort of like a uh, not not a last chance you, but a but what's the other one they do for the NFL? The, um, the little documentary series that the that the NFL Hard does. Knocks? Yeah, Hard Knocks. We thought they were doing something similar to that for for RDS, but it, lo and behold, while they're in, you know they're in between i think it's right after the was it right after the bike it was in between bye week i think it's during the, their first bye week you know i'm 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 sitting on a boat cliffs at home and then they release uh the in the nest documentary and to our surprise we meaning cliff and i kick off the mini doc <laughs> absolutely incredible <laughs> and i remember cliff texting me because obviously i'm six hours behind him he's like you need to get on <laughs> you need to find a way to get on to have uh, have internet access to see this yeah because we got a message uh from one of our our great supporters uh in the group chat group chat i said Hey, congratulations, guys. It's so great to hear your voices on this documentary. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking? Oh, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. So I fire up the YouTubes and I check it out and my jaw hits the floor as I hear my voice and Tim's voice talking about the Alouettes and clearly from one of our episodes earlier this year, talking about the possibilities of the season to come and sharing our thoughts as we do and like, Holy geez, yeah. like we're 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 being indirectly featured in this document. So yes, I <laughs> I text Tim and I say, I don't know where the hell you are in Hawaii. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing, but you've got to get yourself to somewhere with internet and check out YouTube. Yeah, because I I had been sent a text from Joey Alfieri, the Alouette's media director, uh, social media director, and he says there's there's, there's a little bit of a of a surprise in, in the documentary because i think they had not announced it but they hadn't no teasers i was thinking oh well it'll be this or talk or it was this or that i was thinking maybe they're going to announce something else and then lo and behold the documentary comes out and now i now i get it and i did reach out by the way cliff i haven't told you this I did reach out to try to find some of the some of the circumstances behind them choosing our audio and uh it was basically it was up to the production team the production team did did sound like they they scoured different audio from different sources and they settled on ours so um hearing that uh it's a lot even bigger honor to be a part of uh their their preseason uh mini doc so. i'm sure what helped i'm sure what helped too is the fact that we were at least being objective whereas a lot of the media the the traditional media that one would normally go to to get these sort of sound bites probably didn't have a whole lot of nice things to say about the Alouettes. In fact, uh, a lot of local media too also suggested that this Alouettes team was going to be uh, I'll this up, Garbage. dog poop. Yeah, I I, I I heard one local reporter who I'm not going to name out of for reasons, but he basically surmised that the Alouettes were going to be dog poop in 2023 and well i mean 
they were not. I mean, they were not perfect. Let's not get it twisted. They were not perfect. But uh, I think it's safe to say to this particular reporter that, no, the Alouettes were not going to be dog poop. So, No. And, uh, again, it was it was a – that was cool to see. It was an inside look. It's not, I don't think it's something that the Alouettes have ever done before. So, again, thanks to the production team. Um, we are definitely humbled and yeah. very thankful that to be yeah. a, to have been included and to be a part of this. So, once again, I don't know exactly all the reasons why it was prompted, uh, what prompted them to use us, but we are incredibly grateful and and thankful. Hey, and and thank goodness we had done we had done a preseason show from <laughs> camp because <laughs> if we hadn't done that show, then yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, is we, it, it's six thirty productions. I think is that what is that what their name is? I want to get this right. I think so. But well, if need be, we can tag this uh, in in, yeah. in the in the comments and all that. Yeah, we'll, exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure they get the love that they so richly deserve. Yeah. Um, from there, obviously, with that, we're a couple of weeks into the season, and one of the biggest things that we've noticed is that, you know, near past the the Alouettes have got have been have been a very streaky team, uh, whether it be winning streaks or losing streaks, and and multiples during during the season itself. Well, twenty twenty three just happened to be another one of those type of seasons, Cliff, where yes, the Alouettes went on a couple of different runs, uh, both positive and negative, uh, but also at the same time that the Alouettes are also going through a an issue with, uh, uh, I think probably one of the most um uh, probably one of the the the, the one the one season that i remember the most where uh that the injuries were a major issue on this team uh, at one point during the season the alouettes had 16 people on the six on the six game. <laughs> that's mind-blowing six uh, 16 people on the six game injured list um crazy but which, which does lead to opportunities. Yeah. That's one thing that people have to understand is this is where a lot of these superstars come from because this is where you this is where you see where your training camp depth is and your practice roster depth is because when someone goes down, it's next man up. And yeah, when you've got 16 players on the list, you're like, holy cow, you, your your limits are truly being tested at that point. And yeah, you 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 see what kind of depth you have on the practice roster, or do you start looking elsewhere because you need a helping hand and if it's not in your ranks then you've got to start seeing who who can you get who can you bring in to help steady the ship if you will Mm -hmm. exactly and obviously with one of the things that one of these big streaks that really defined the season for the Alouettes did happen to start off on Canada Day where the for the very first time in Alouettes history the Alouettes did host a game on Canada Day and also at the same time unveiled their very very popular red third jerseys Uh, just so happens that they were playing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and it just so happened to be that that was one of the very first of many (laughs) weather delayed games for the Alouettes at home in 2023. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget the Alouettes. When you talk about streaks, the Alouettes started a wing streak even in the preseason. For the first time since 2009, the Alouettes are undefeated. We're, went undefeated in preseason. And we, we kind of laughed at the time because we said, oh, last time they did it was in t- 2009. Well, that's a good omen because 2009, the Alouettes went undefeated in the preseason and they won the Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know how this season ends with Dallas <laughs> going undefeated. So maybe there truly is something to be said 
for, like, even though people say oh, preseason doesn't count, and I've always said it's just an evaluation, test for evaluation anyway. So I don't care if the team wins or loses, but you win your two preseason games, good things have the possibility of happening. Mm-hmm. And they did. And they did. And, and it started there with, the, you know, they started that. They started a uh, regular season winning streak to carry uh, carry that over. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, by the time they played that game on Canada Day, I, I believe they were, I think, 3-0, and if I'm not mistaken. 3 or 4-0. 5-0 if you count the, uh, the preseason games. But True. Is, they were undefeated in May, undefeated in June. That's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, yes, he it, it's early still, but just right away, it's, it's whatever the Alouettes were doing when it came to Cody Fajardo, Jason Moss, and this quote-unquote band of misfit toys, it was working. Yep, yep. They were at that point. They were 4-0 before they started. Again, they had one winning streak with the two wins to start the season. And then they, again, then, then again, losing streak, winning streak, losing streak. So it's, but those... Those that first three game losing streak uh, to Winnipeg, BC, which seems to be a natural occurrence because those are our first turn return to uh, to BC since COVID, mm-hmm. and then to Toronto, kind of set the, the the narrative later on in the season for the Alouettes and what people thought that they could and could not do just based off of their uh, off their record. Yeah, it almost to a lot of people's eyes, they thought, okay, well, you're good but you're not good enough. Like you're good enough to beat the quote-unquote lower-level teams, but when it comes to the top-tier teams, which essentially were the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Toronto Argonauts, who both were in the Grey Cup that the season before, and the BC Lions, who had been simply outstanding with Vernon Adams as their quarterback and just tearing things up. That was, that was basically the tiers right there. Like The first tier was BC, Winnipeg, Toronto. Second tier was... Everybody else, with the exception, I think, of Ottawa and Edmonton. If if you're going to look for a bottom tier, unfortunately, those two teams were it. Montreal essentially was the best of the second tier. Like you were good, but you're only good against like lower level opponents. Like that's that was Mm -hmm. apparently the narrative it seemed to be throughout the year. And when you go 11 and seven, and essentially the 11 wins are against the teams that you're equal to or less or, or better than and your seven losses come to those three teams in that top tier that I was talking about. It's hard to shake that narrative. It's hard to shake the thought that, okay, mm-hmm. you're good, but are you good enough? And I've always said you, you, you are what your record says you are. And 11 and seven is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's definitely positive. It's not a, you know, after years of even Steven records of nine and nine and seven and seven to go 11 and seven to me, I thought was definitely a step in the right direction and tells also told me that, okay, things are looking up and there is something here, but you still have that sort of hanging overhead is that, well, until you beat the BC lions, the Winnipeg blue bombers and the Toronto Argonauts, you're always going to be looked at as good, but not good enough. Yeah. And I think that was one of the major, cha- one of the many challenges that faced this LOS team in 2023. Along with that too, is that, you know, with it was us getting used to, to Cody Fajardo and we see, I mean, we, we, we seen him play in the CFL before, 
Um, but you know, we were having issues with keeping him upright. Um, and it, it, Cody was getting sacked a ton. I mean, a ton. And we were wondering, was he going to be able to, to continue and finish the season considering what is happening? But they, you know, along with, with the many, the, the many streaks that we had along with everything else, things did get better. Um, it, it's funny, you know, Cody goes, Cody goes down, uh, he, he gets hurt and it's a, it's a, a, a throwing, a non shoulder, non throwing shoulder thing where he gets hurt in, in the game versus Hamilton. He finishes the game in Hamilton. It is a win, but he is out for the for the next two weeks. Now, as we've seen before in the past with the Alouettes, when it comes to uh, starting quarterbacks, whether it been Dominic Davis prior or others, um, you know, some of these guys may not mesh. And also at the same time, too, with the Cody Fajardo situation, Cliff, we've also been dealing with the ineptitude of the offense. So maybe we were thinking with Cody going down or being out for an X period of week, because at the same time, he was never on the, he was never officially on a six game or anything like that. He was a, always a game day decision, if you remember. And, it, and if, you know, love him or hate the way, the way Coach Moss does things, it's always entertaining. Doesn't really matter, but it was, it really was entertaining. But it also gave the, the chance for Caleb Evans to start. And Caleb Evans did, was able to throw a wrinkle into the two games that he did start for the Alouettes, including uh, the, I think one of the games that actually uh, stands out quite a bit for the Alouettes in 2023 and how much uh, grit and, and fortitude that this team has was that game on August 19th where the Alouettes were able to come back and beat the Ottawa Red Blacks on a last-second touchdown 25-24. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, the week before that was the uh, the one time that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were going to face their former coach in in Jason Moss and hopefully the former quarterback in Cody Fajardo, but with the injury to Fajardo, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So it ended up just the narrative was that was there was just non-existent. Uh, Caleb Evans played a, a solid game against the, the Riders, but it was mostly the defense and special teams that just played outstanding football. And basically that helped them beat the Riders quite handily. But then going to Ottawa into the nation's capital for Caleb Evans to face his former team that more or less cast him aside. You could tell that he was motivated. It, it took a little while for it to work. It, like, it felt like they, it's like they knew who Caleb Evans was in Ottawa Go figure. And that first half of football was <laughs> very forgettable. Oh, yeah. But then something clicked. I don't know what it was during halftime, but something clicked. And Evans and the Alouettes started scoring. They started the comeback. They, they, they made the game very, very interesting. And as you said, like just so close too, because the, you know, my God, I, 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 I still get goosebumps thinking about that drive downfield and for Evans to be the one to score the go ahead touchdown. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Fantastic. It's just tough for our nation fans because all they want to do is see a win at home. And well, actually they did get a win. They did end up getting the win earlier in the year against Edmonton, but to be able to beat the Alouettes, a team they haven't been able to beat at home in a long, long time. And it was yeah. so close to getting it done. And then Caleb Evans was just like, nope, not today. And that's kind of funny because that game ended with, uh, I think Dustin Crum 
was it, uh, was it Dustin Crum? Yeah, I think it was Dustin Crum that yeah. ended up throwing an interception to Reggie Stubblefield. <laughs> and to me, that that was the game where he where Reggie became a name. Like that's where people's if if you didn't know who Reggie Stubblefield was at that point, now you know because he he played you started to see what this guy could be capable of and that that pick and i, I kind of joked joked with him afterwards like you should have taken that to the house man like you like that was the game where you became a superstar and uh he, he laughed about it like well one of these days one of these days and you know we're, we're still <laughs> hoping for reggie to get that pick six but for him to get that that game clinching interception was just chef's kiss yeah, absolutely outstanding. So Cody Cody comes back, and th- this team it, it, we go we seem to fall back into our, our old ways. You know, the, Cody does not get a win in the first four games that he returns after his injury, and at that po- at that point the Alouettes were six and seven. Um, but within that period, the Alouettes probably acquired two guys that we really that really helped drive this team uh, through the end of the season and into the playoffs because uh, these two guys made a hell of an impact, two guys that we expected to be, that we didn't expect to be available, but Danny Mack was able to work his magic and bring in two, uh, these two defensive studs that were able to help the Owls throughout the, throughout the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, I cannot understand why Sean Lemon started this 2023 season at home watching football on the couch. I'm obviously staying ready in case the phone rang, but for a CFL West all-star with Calgary the year before and being invited to and cut from BC Lions training camp in 2023, the idea that this guy was sitting at home waiting for an opportunity blows my mind as, as the weeks passed and Still nothing, still nothing, still nothing. And even the Salouettes team, like the defensive line, like they were good, but not good enough when it came to the pass rush. They were not putting pressure on the opposing quarterback as they much were as mid. What, they were mid. They were very mid. Let's 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 call it what it is. They were they yeah. were very mid. And as luck would have it, Danny Mac, as you said. Finally picked up the phone, called Sean Lemon, brought him in. Uh, that meant Nick Usher, who was a very popular player here in Montreal, ended up being the odd man out because you bring in a defensive lineman, uh, invariably you got to let a defensive lineman go. And unfortunately, Usher was shown the door, unfortunately. But then Sean Lemon comes in, starts making an impact almost immediately. Yeah. To the point where you're you're just dumbfounded, like, and every other team had to have been dumbfounded too. It's like, why didn't we get this guy? Why didn't we bring him in? <laughs> and then people are like, why didn't the Alouettes bring him in sooner? But you know, once again, timing truly is everything. And Sean Lemon comes in, makes an impact right away, and the rest, as they say, is history. But you said it, Machocho was not done yet. I mean, like he he saw what was being done. With his defense, he he knew that he had some studs here playing outstanding football, but you need more. You need more. And fresh off of an XFL championship victory, Darnell Sankey 
wanted to come back to the Canadian Football League. Obviously wanted to go to someone who was going to contend. And at the time that he was signed, you can make the argument maybe the Alouettes were not quite in contendership, but something had to give, and Darnell Sankey ends up signing on the dotted line. Comes in. Uh, I believe it was his first game was against... Uh, was it, it, been it, against? Tor- it would have been Toronto. It, it was Toronto. And uh, sorry, the, 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 back, the back-to-back games... Like for the, for the the second of the, they played three times this year. The yep. second game was an absolute blowout in at mm-hmm. BMO Field, where the Alouettes just got embarrassed, and a lot of people were thinking, okay, well they're just concentrating on the next game, which was also against Toronto, but at Percival Molson Stadium. That one was a lot more tightly contested affair, uh, which again the Alouettes lost. But Darnell Sankey had said after that, doesn't matter. We're gonna win the next five games. And then we're going to go to and win the Grey Cup. A lot of people laughed. <laughs> a lot of people like, that's cute. That Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, if you say so. Okay. Show me. Show me. Well, wouldn't you know it, folks? And I don't think I, it was used as bulletin board material either because at the at the time, the Owls were on that four-game losing streak. Or three. Yeah, at the time, so, yeah four-game losing. And it's like. I, could it? It's very rare for something like that to be considered. I I would consider it. Think people thinking it was a throwaway comment. No sir. No sir. No. It, I I think a lot of people looked at it as okay. Well, sure. Of course you're going to say that. Like you know, like whatever it takes to try and motivate the troops. Whatever you know, any number of things you could have said. And at that point, like I said, you are what your record says you are. And at that point, the Alouettes were, in my opinion good but not good enough they were mid Mm -hmm. something had to change and yes we we knew the talent was there defensively this team was definitely clicking on all cylinders offense really needed to get their ass in gear special teams also good but still needed that extra boost but when Sankey stood up and he said we're going to win the next five games and then we're going to win the great cup ladies and gentlemen if Darnell Sankey says something, you can take it to the bank because <laughs> Nostradamus called it. <laughs> because sure enough, that's exactly to the T what happened. The Alouettes won their next five regular season games, finished the year at 11 and 7, went to the Eastern semifinal, won that, went to the Eastern final, won that, and yep, won the Grey Cup. Yeah. And, throw, and everything happened within within that next winning streak, dude. From the from the major comeback in Edmonton, being down twenty one three, I think mm-hmm. it was twenty one three at one point, and just yep. storming back. The total shellacking of Ottawa on Thanksgiving Day in the rain, by the way. There's another one. <laughs> Go figure. But then, as he said, you know, we 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 look at what was done. You know, the way that the 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 narrative was heading into the East final. We talked about it before. How it was like, ah, they can't beat anybody. But then again, people, again, I think we and I said this a couple of times. You got to remember, this is the postseason where anything can happen. Anything can happen. Throw everything out that happened during the regular season. Yes, it's for, it can be used for talking heads. No, you know, that's, that's true. And it's funny, even even the Eastern semifinal, still the Alouettes, even though they had beaten Hamilton to finish the regular season, they were undefeated against Hamilton 
all year. That's that's a remarkable thing. They they did not lose once to Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I said, okay, well this Alouette's team is two and zero at Tim Hortons Field and has a chance to go three and zero at Tim Hortons Field, but they got some work to do first. And exactly. part of that was beating Hamilton in that that regular season game, which was essentially a glorified preseason game, because you knew these two teams were going to meet each other one week later at Percival Wilson Stadium, but for the Eastern semifinal. And that Eastern semifinal game was the start, I, I would say the start of making that statement that we are good enough. We are the team to watch. We are, This is the hottest team of the Canadian Football League, and we're going to show you. And that Eastern semifinal game was just so much fun to watch. I, mean, I know. I know. I, I, all, all, all the way through, and just like, like Hamilton, let's not forget, Hosting the Grey Cup this year, they pushed all their chips to the table. They went out. They got Bo Levi Mitchell. He was going to take them to the promised land. Uh, they brought Jeff Reinbold back as uh, special teams coordinator. Uh, they, Scott Milanovic ended up joining the team uh, as offensive coordinator. I mean, they were doing a lot of the, the right things. They were making a lot of moves in order to be contenders. They, they really wanted to be host going to and hosting the Grey Cup. Problem is, they just ran into the buzzsaw that was the Montreal Alouettes, and yeah, uh, man, and I, you know, I, and you know, it's funny. It, it, it was such a meaningless game, and it all, and it all, we can we can say the, the whole uh, tie cats thing started in Montreal with, with a with a, with a, with an infamous onside onside punt, <laughs> even well, though it had been done earlier in the year. You know, such a meaningless game for that to be pulled out in a meaningless game. You know, I mean, it's it's just part of the whole story. It's just part of the whole story. It's like this year really showed what this Alouettes team was capable of doing and just turning everybody on their ears. I mean, yeah, you, you, just, you start with like the onside punt, for example. It started in Ottawa with Jeshwin Antwi. And we were there live. And we were like, what the hell? What? Wait, what? For, it was like just to see him pull that off, like oh, the oh, successful oh, okay, one. Because okay. remember, people forget we tried it in BC and it failed miserably. Yeah, and we tried it in BC, couldn't get it off. Like to the point where we thought, oh shoot, his you know Xbox controller. You know, we thought he fumbled. We thought he fumbled. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. So yeah, like like something didn't work. Like there was a glitch in the matrix, but oh, there was the hell. There was a glitch, all right. <laughs> I mean, for them to be to be, for them to be able to pull out a a rule uh, enough so enough times in twenty twenty three that people are just complaining. You got to get rid of the rule. Uh, it, it's like it's a part it's a part of the game. That's what makes football football. You got to be ready for everything, for yeah. everything. And you know what? You don't like that rule. If you know, there's a simple there's a simple solution. If you don't if you don't want a non signed punt to happen, and I'm going to get close to my microphone. Say this. Defend better. Yeah. You yeah, know what? That, it, that's you know, learn the rules. And if it's second better. And if it's second and long, it puts doubt. It makes them think. What's that's what are the Alouettes going to do? What were they going to do? And then when Cole Speaker pulled it off during that last uh, regular season game, <laughs> we, we kind of looked at each other like did, did are, are you effing kidding me? Did, <laughs> Did they just pull off another uns- on? <laughs> holy cow! Uh, we're howling with laughter. Like, 
holy geez, I can't believe they had the cojones to pull that off, not once, but twice. And again, in a meaningless game, you know, so it, it, it put, it, again, like I said, it put thought in on the on the other side of the ball. What are the Owls going to do? And then and as you I, say, we, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, well, we talked with Coach Moss, I think both times after the game in, in Ottawa, we talked to him about it because <laughs> yeah. he, he had said he wanted to pull that off for years with Cody in Saskatchewan. He just, the, there was never the right opportunity to make that happen. And lo and behold, it happened in Ottawa this year. And then when we saw him again, post, uh, post game versus Hamilton, I said, where, where do you come up with this stuff? Like, what, what, how, how, like, just, it's just, like I said, we're, we're just, mind blown that you were able to pull it off not once but twice and to the point where i even said to coach moss i'm like you know if you make it to the gray cup and we don't see an onside punt we're going to be very disappointed we won't be <laughs> mad but we'll be very disappointed and boy hearing him laugh is just fantastic like just if you can crack a head coach like that that's that's pretty good and I'm, I'm yeah i'm very happy about that <laughs> and then obviously as we're talking about with the eastern final uh the east final everything started off with uh with the Dequa pick six and from oh. there, it was it was game. Um, you well, know, before we, I, be, before we get too far into that, let's not forget. A lot of people say, "Okay, great, you be, you beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and you know, the, so many you know, obviously things were not what we expected out of them." But going to Toronto, BMO Field, where you almost never win, you you've won once in the past six seven years. Ten and a half point underdog. Uh, to a 16 and 2 team, Chad Kelly playing arguably the best football of his career. Uh, and obviously, good enough for him to win MOP for the Canadian Football League. I mean, the DAC was so incredibly stacked against the Alouettes. Like, I, I, I'll go so far as to say almost nobody believed that this team could shock the world and beat the Argos. Like, it, yeah. it was almost like, okay. It's great that you made it this far, but this is okay. This is where you know the clock strikes midnight and Cinderella turns back into a pumpkin. Yeah, but do you know who believed though, Cliff? The one percent. The one percent. The one percent that Coach Moss had been preaching all year long. The mm-hmm. Great Eight, the province of Quebec, the people of of Montreal, the province, the team, Alouette's Nation, Alouette's Nation. Nobody believed but the one percent. Yeah, and, and and as you were about to say, both the the very first series of that Eastern final, Chad, Chad Kelly and company does what they do best. They they march down the field. They they looked like a sixteen and two football team is supposed to look playing against a team that was not lucky. I, I will never say the Yellowwoods were lucky. They they had to scrap and fight their way to get to where they did. And they were not just happy to be there. They they were playing to win, but that first series, I mean, they and and wearing red on the road, <laughs> that too, that breaking it, 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 out their alternate uniforms on the road. Yeah, which makes for such an incredible scene because you got like the double blue of the Argos versus the Alouettes red. I mean, it's it was wild. Like a color on color matchup in the playoffs mm-hmm. is spectacular, but. Sure enough, Yalowitz marched down the field, or the Argos, I should say, marched down the field, and are like, okay, this this was to be expected. Here we go. And then, lo and behold, Marc-Antoine Decois, the, the Eastern nominee for most outstanding Canadian, 
Yeah. The Quow reared his head again. 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 Pick six. And everybody in that stadium was just jaws on the floor. Like, did that just happen? And even we're we're looking at each other like, oh, okay. Game on. Okay. This game game on. We got something here. Oh, let's see what happens. And then yeah, that the rest of that first half was middling football at best for both teams. Like it was almost like a yeah. real feeling out process. Like some would say, some would say game of in Ottawa. Like <laughs> that first game in Ottawa. Like some would say a tight defensive battle. Others would say boring. I mean, if you want touchdowns, and yeah, but that second half comes along for the Eastern Final, and Montreal just they took advantage. They took advantage of the of the things they didn't take advantage of in the first half yeah the the, the defense came alive uh they they made chad kelly's day a, a night like it was a living nightmare for for chad kelly he just and the o-line stepped up in that second half oh, yeah. from five sacks given up in the first to only two in the second yeah and that set no mistake, the tone folks, yeah. for the rest of the playoffs Make make no mistake, folks. Getting sacked seven times is not something to be proud of or hang your hat on. But I mean, this this offensive line, as you said, kicked into gear, gave Cody the time and space to be able to do things, and just kept this going. But this defense really showed what they were capable of. Uh, you, you, what gets me more than anything else with that Eastern when I think about the Eastern final, among other things besides the Dequa pick six, KB and Ento. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like when you talk about the story within the story, when it comes to the Argos and the Alouettes, I think about KB and Ento. The pick six that he got in the Eastern Final was such a full circle moment for him. When we think back to that very first game, or no, sorry, the, no, sorry, it was the the second. No, yeah, it was the first the first game that the Argos and the Alouettes played at Percival Moses Stadium. Barn. It was a shooter. Barn burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, such a fun game. The Argos just squeaked ahead. But the one thing that, unfortunately, people are, well, we especially remember was Fabian yeah. was just burnt. Constantly no, getting he was burned for touchdowns. Four times. Especially, and, and on the winning touchdown. Yep. I, I, that's just how it is. Like, to the point, like, we saw what he did in training camp, and we thought, oh, this this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to do some outstanding things this year. And we started to doubt because he was just looking so out of place. Like He, he did not look like he belonged on the field. To the point where it was like, why are we keeping this guy around? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he gets it. Like we thought maybe he had something, but he's clearly not getting it. And then he goes home after that p- p- pitiful game. He he goes home on the bye week, comes back against Calgary, has a monster game. And we're like, is this the same KB Nanto? What the hell happened during that bye week? Like that, that to us was like the, the, the running story for us. Like the, the, what happened? Like, what happened during that bye week that just flipped the switch for KBN? It, it just it, incredible. He he came back a completely different player, mm-hmm. and, and it was improving by leaps and bounds. Like he he was not perfect, but my god, he was he was out there. He was doing things. He was truly becoming a force. And when we talked to Coach Thorpe, I was like, "What? What did you say to this guy? What what happened?" And one of the things he talked about was the fact that he was playing on the boundary corner. And they moved him to the field side. And at the time, like, oh, okay. Like, it seems kind of hard to believe that switching from one part of the field to the other could make such a difference. But clearly it did. 
because he was playing lights out football at that point. Yeah. And they all the way up to that Eastern final, like he, he had been playing outstanding football for the Alouettes, big, just making big plays happen and just being a real force. But that pick six and I laughed. I'm like, holy cow. Caveat Ento pick six in the Eastern final against these Argos that ate his lunch earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Like th- this is the stuff like when you talk about when Disney's going to make the, the Hollywood movie of this season, like it, it, it it's remarkable to think about. Uh, I, I laughed. I mean, th- that's all I can do is just laugh and think about the fact that KB Nento, I, I jokingly said the boy, nobody loved, but we loved him. I mean, he, he, he really is a good dude as, 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 as much as we, as hard as we were on him, we definitely wanted him to succeed because we saw the talent was there. And then what happens? Pick six against the very same Argos that kicked his ass earlier this year. You talk about full circle moments, and we talked about this earlier too. It truly was a full circle moment for, for KB Nanto. And simply put, what next? What else could KBN do? Like, how's he going to top that? Like, how, like to and, have that, yeah. that game, how's he going to top that? Well, folks, hmm. but, <laughs> but wait, there's what, more. What a way to bookend, bookend this story this year to get uh, not only one, but two uh, major plays in the Grey Cup, one knocking down a ball in the end zone, and then the interception, uh, which helped the Owls. You know, uh, down the down the line, and, and you know, stop the bombers and allow them to win the Grey Cup. Yeah, and and when I think about this 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 Grey Cup, and when I think about this journey that the Alouettes went on, it's it's remarkable. There's simply no other word I can use other than remarkable. Like yeah. what this team had gone through, what we had seen in the week leading up to the Grey Cup, like everything, like from yeah. You know, spending time with the team uh, during practices, uh, during media day, being able to talk to them and fans of other teams basically putting their support behind the Alouettes versus the Winnipeg. I think the only people that wanted the Blue Bombers to win the Great Cup were people from Manitoba. <laughs> it, 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 it felt like everybody else in the Canadian Football League wanted the Alouettes to win. Even Ryder fans who the, the same Ryder fans that were were mocking Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo basically kicking their ass out the door, you know, this time, like, you know, like to end the season last year, Yeah. all of a sudden it became, well, no, we, we realized that they weren't the problem because, you know, Saskatchewan ultimately had the same year that they had in, in 2023. They had the same season they had last year, the year before. So I guess they, they finally came to realize maybe Jason Moss wasn't the problem. Maybe Cody Fajardo wasn't the problem in Saskatchewan. No, not when Saskatchewan ends the season the exact same way in 2023 that they did in 2022 with seven straight losses. It, so. Exactly. Like you, you can't pin that in, in 2023. You certainly can't pin that on Jason Moss or Cody Fajardo. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it was just so funny to see Ryder fans, the, the same Ryder fans that sat through 2009, 2010, losing those back-to-back breakup championships to the Alouettes throwing their support behind Alouette's nation saying, go win the great cup. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that playing Winnipeg, their, their hated rival probably had a lot to do with it. Like once again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I guess that's how it is, whatever the case may be. And it it was just incredible. I mean, so much love and support from CFL fans with the exception of bomber fans, understandably, but the, the fact that, Everybody now was on board with the Alouettes. Everybody wanted to see this team succeed in the worst way. Yeah, and 
they did. Uh, it, it, it basically started with the with the late in the fourth quarter with the Cody run on the second and eighteen, 18. I think it was. Was able to yep. set up, was able to set up the uh, that third down pass. Um, yeah, against, I mean against cover zero, mind you, but still, I mean to have the the chutzpah, the cojones, if you will, to to make that throw and Cole Speaker making the catch of his life yeah. in that moment. But for Ace, for Ace, our, our offensive coordinator, Anthony Calvillo, the great Anthony Calvillo, to dial up that play. Like, we we talked about his his coaching style, and I had jokingly said, Ace probably stands for always conservative, because that really was how it came across. But this Grey Cup game, he clearly watched the tape. He clearly saw a lot of the the chinks in the armor, if you will, for the, for the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And he was able to capitalize and... He called an absolutely fantastic game. Cody Fajardo, I said, had to play the game of his life, and he did. He, he did. manned up. He stepped up, and he showed that he is who he says he is. And yeah. my God, yeah. like just everything that led up to the, that moment, that drive, that that game-winning drive, was something that'll be burned in my memory for pro- possibly the rest of my life because yeah. that was just outstanding. Like you, you would you. You even asked, like, where does this win rank versus the the 13th men uh, in 2009? And I, I'm still going to say it's still very early to say, but, I mean, I, I truly do believe this Grey Cup game is going to go down as a top five game, like like one of the greatest games ever played. And what a ride. What, this will be what yeah, a- one of the greatest Grey Cup games. Yeah ever played it will be right up there in the annals i think when, when people will remember uh, the ice bowl uh this will be i guess we this would be is this is our the drive type of thing too so it's and then again the the touchdown pass uh perfect pass to you know most outstanding canadian tyson philpot uh clock strikes zero confetti everywhere alouettes are great cup champions for the first time in 13 years, I remember us in stadium, you, me, and Manon, uh, just embracing, not only after the touchdown, but after after we had clinched the Grey Cup. You know, I mean, you've seen uh, my first time seeing the Alouettes win a Grey Cup in person. Um, yeah. My second, but I mean, yeah, yeah it's but <laughs> it's it, it's just a feeling, and then the the you know being on the field post game. Seeing everybody coming, coming, you know, the little things of just coming away with, uh, with confetti. You know, it's the small things, the embracing of everybody, the players, uh, being able to get access to the locker room afterwards. Uh, you guys going and, and going and, and going to the post game party, uh, the, the you know, the parade. Uh, it it. It, 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 you know, we this being our last show, it's just, of the year. It just, we don't want twenty twenty three to end, but we do know. It's funny once it's the schedule does come out, and it's you know, it it is scheduled to come out the day the day that uh, that this really show does come out. We we don't. It, yes, we understand we got to move on, but twenty twenty three will be a season that the season uh, that the city, the team, uh, the history of the Alouettes, pro football in Montreal, us, 
it will be etched in our minds forever, forever. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about when the clocks hit zero and it, it was made official that the Alouettes were the 110th Grey Cup champions, I think about all the ghosts that like, all the stuff that had gone on in the 13 years f- from that Grey Cup win. I, I'll even go so far as to say, like, things were not bad. I, I, I it wasn't until Mark Tressman, coach of the Alouettes, left for the NFL in 2012. We didn't realize it at the time, but that was kind of the downward spiral. That's when things started to slowly descend down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mark leaving, AC's concussion, him retiring. And then we end up with questionable head coaches. Uh, certain moves were made. Certain moves, like certain people were let go. Others were brought in. There, there's so many missteps that this organization made. And we tried to see the positive in all of it. And it was tough. And this team really didn't do itself any favors with a lot of the moves that were made and a lot of the decisions that were made as well. Safe to say Alouette's nation from I'll say 2013 to this year, they have definitely seen some shit. (laughs) There's just no other way to put it. But I think to myself, all the crazy things that this team had gone through, all the, as I said, questionable moves that were made, the, the, the God, I mean, we could probably do a whole show talking about all the crazy stuff that (laughs) happened from 2013 to this year. Yeah. And we're probably going, what the hell? Like, but I mean, this this, this is everything. We walked through hell and back to get to this point. And every every fan base does that too. But the thing is, this is something that had to be, the franchise needed to to rebound. And and people need to remember too. I know Brian Noah brought this up too. This is coming from a from our head coach, who was traded to Montreal in two thousand seven, for a gentleman who did not want to be here. We still want to know this story. We still have to ask Coach Moss about this story and what what was his decision, how it was you know portrayed in the media that he didn't want to be in Montreal, didn't potentially was going to block the trade that brought him here. And we will talk to him. We, yeah, we and will just, have coach just the Moss whole whole circle of him coming here and winning the Grey Cup the first year owner winning the Grey Cup the first year that, you know, P, that PKP owns the team. You know, Coach Moss becoming only the third head coach in Alouette's history, first year head coach to win the Grey Cup in their first year mm-hmm. as an Alouette's head coach. And so, to me, uh, I also think about Coach Moss with – this year he truly did become a leader of men. Like he, mm-hmm. he's been a head coach before in Edmonton and a lot of people, you know, when, when the Alouette said and announced that he was going to be the head coach, the first thought they went to was his temper tantrums, uh, his throwing of equipment, the throwing of Gatorade jugs and, you know, curse words, every other, like just a lot of anger, a lot of anger from coach Moss back then. And I, I guess you can, you look back now, I'm sure he would probably tell you those are growing pains. This is, you know, like, yeah, it was part of the, the part of the process of becoming the man that he is today. But when I think back, like, for example, the Eastern semifinal, when uh, the Chris Edwards uh, incident happened and all hell broke loose. And I'm sure the old Jason Moss would have been 
he would have been right in there throwing hands and or, or equipment or doing something. But I just remember the calm that came over him, and he, you could tell he was angry. He was upset at what had gone down. He was clearly not pleased that a couple of the players, his players, came off the bench just to join in that melee. But he he remained calm. Got things got settled. I mean, he, he let the referees know what was going on and he was that he was not pleased with a lot of things that had, had gone down. But to see his calm demeanor, the way that he handled himself, the way he handled his players, his coaching staff, everything, to see that you saw that this is the guy that you, you this is the guy you want leading your team. This is the guy that is going to take the team to the promised land and I can't say enough good things about Jason Motch as head coach this year. I mean, yeah. he, he is, he has proven himself. And again, I, I, when I look back and I, I'm definitely looking forward to talking with him in 2024 here on the podcast. I mean, there, I, I can't wait to hear how he looks back at this year and the evolution that he's gone through to from, from that time in Edmonton to his time in Saskatchewan to here now in Montreal. I'm really, really excited to talk to him and to get his side of things because it's been, it's been such a story. I, I, I keep talking about, there are so many stories within the story and the story of Jason Moss as head coach, like you said, from him coming here as a player, backing up AC to now having AC work under him on this coaching staff. Yeah. So, so many wow moments when you think about it and it, it it's truly truly remarkable yeah don't forget don't forget the season alouette's nation do not forget about this season no and let's quickly talk about you and i this season we've accomplished some pretty amazing things when you think about it we've had kevin glenn on this show this year mm-hmm. we've had the great sj green on this show this year for our mm-hmm. 200th episode no less yep we, we we crossed that benchmark this year uh, Flight Deck Live, which we kind of started as, uh, you know, a lark, pun fully intended, <laughs> turning out to be an absolute blast to do. Like we we found our, you know, it, it took a little while to find our way, I think, but yeah, starting on Instagram, moving over to Streamyards, even with all those shows that we did more than once. <laughs> for example, uh, growing pains. Yeah, uh, the the fact that we've been able to do Flight Deck Live from Edmonton, from Ottawa, from Toronto, from Hamilton, obviously. The fact that we've been able to take this show on the road is remarkable and such a treat. I think we've learned a lot about ourselves as well. What we're, you know, the, the lengths we're willing to go to make this an entertaining show. And the fact that we, I still feel we, we've, we've only scratched the surface what we're capable of doing. We've had some great guests on this year. Uh, and I, I have to thank each and every one of them that have come on and helped contribute and help make the show as successful as what it is. Uh, all the way up to during Grey Cup week, people coming up to us and saying, hey, love what you guys are doing. You guys are keep up the good work. I mean, when you've got our contemporaries in the media coming up and saying, you know, good job, keep up the good work. We're, we're loving what you guys are doing. That... To me, to me, that means a lot. I don't know how, how you feel about it, but to me, it, no, it, it does. Because really... it, it's not just platitudes. It's not just platitudes. It's based no. off of what, it's based off, it's based off of what we've done. Yeah, it, like they're not blowing smoke, uh, mm-hmm. as they say. It, it's 
and we, we hear it and we appreciate it. And as I said, I, I still, we've come a long way, but I still feel we have so much to go. We still got much more stuff to learn and we want to, we, we want to keep growing the show. We want to keep improving. And we really want this to be the place where people come and get their Alouette's news and analysis and opinions. And we want to be able to bring everything Alouette's to each and every one of you. Like, I think we've done a great job this year. I know we can do more and I want to keep doing more. And I'm so excited for what 2024 has to offer. I know there's still a lot of people we want to bring on the show. You know, a lot of alumni that we still have to talk to. There's still other players that we want to come bring on, especially now that we're, we'd be bringing them on as great cup champions. I mean, yeah. that to me, that that's going to be so exciting to be able to talk to someone that we've known that we watched them go through the, the, this, this incredible season and to be able to say that, yes, you truly are a great cup champion. And no one's ever going to take that away from you. Yeah, show us your ring. Let me see it. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's the other thing we have. So, uh, of all the things to look forward to in 2024, the Grey Cup ring. You know that's going to be blinged out, something serious. I mean, that, that is going to be a thing of beauty. And I, yeah, I, can't, I wait. can't wait. I, I, I can't wait. wait. Like, it, it, and yeah. I know the home opener. I don't know who they're playing. It's going to be in June. I'm, I'm fairly confident of that. It's going to be in June. But when they unfurl that eighth banner, to me, I, I it's all going to come flooding back. Like this year is all going to come flooding back to me. I, I can just tell. And it's going to be amazing. It is going to be something that, once again, is going to be burned in my mind. Because we yeah. look at the seven banners that were there, and they've been there for a while. And a, a great reminder of history. But knowing that, now they're going to have to add an eighth. And I cannot wait to see that that 2023 championship banner. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's going to be amazing. And, it's, and it's, folks, it, it, if, if you haven't already, and we've you heard Mark Waitman talk about it. Yes, just throughout the parade week alone, the Alouettes gained 700 plus season ticket holders. Football... I mean, football's been back for a while, but I think the love for Alouette's football truly is back. Everybody loves a winner, of course, but yeah. I think people realize just how amazing this football team truly is, and they want to be back on board. They want to be there. They want to be there to see it all, and I think they're going to truly enjoy that banner unfurling as well. And ladies Can't and gentlemen, if you, if you haven't already, make sure you're on board in 2024 with this Montreal Alouette's team because they're for real. And they're spectacular. Yeah. We, again, Alabas Nation, what a season. What a season for us here at the at the flight deck. We want to thank every single one of you for who have spent even just a couple of minutes listening to the show, catching up us, uh, seeing what we do on social media, etc. Watching uh, us on Flight Deck Live yeah, as well. Flight, yeah. We want to, from Cliff and myself, we want to wish every single one of you a very happy holidays, uh, happy, uh, uh, Merry Christmas, uh, happy new year. We want you to stay safe. Uh, we will be seeing you within the, within the new year. That's for sure. Um, to stay tuned to all of our socials. Um, but we appreciate every single one of you, for everything that you've given to us here in 2023. And we're hoping to give it back to you in spades in 2024. Without question. Uh, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be a fantastic year. It's going to be 
a championship year like no other. I, I my God, I'm, I'm truly excited. I'm truly excited to see what we're going to do as a podcast, how we're going to grow and evolve and get ready for that 2024 season to get underway. It, folks, uh, we say this all the time. Make sure you're subscribed to us. Make sure you, you're following us on social media. Make sure you're aware of what's going to be going on. We're going to let each and every one of you know. Make sure you got you hit the notification, like, subscribe, however you consume this podcast. Make sure you're on board with us because we want you along for the ride. We, we want to keep sharing all of this with you. So if you haven't already, make sure you, you're tuned into us. Tell a friend, tell a coworker, tell a family member, tell everybody you know about the Alouette's flight deck because we want you here. We want <laughs> you to be a part of this. Without without question, we want you to be a part of Alouette's nation as well. So if yeah. you're not already, get subscribed. That's right. And I appreciate you, buddy. You know that for the past eight years, I appreciate I appreciate you every day. We're heading into season nine, season nine, broadcast season nine. And again, like Cliff said, we got a lot we got a lot to a lot to do and a lot to bring to you guys. So for the final time uh, in 2023 and of our eighth broadcast season, for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Tech, for Cliffy e. D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.